Welcome back. Welcome back to Exploring Lord of the Rings. This is session number 148. As we join, uh, well, I say join. We've been with Gandalf in the council for quite some time. Uh, but uh, tonight we are going to be looking uh, in detail at Isildur's words. We started them last week. But we're going to finish them this week. Uh, and I think it's a really fascinating case study. In fact, it's uh, the uh, circumstances under which uh, Isildur, as Gandalf says, made this scroll are almost like laboratory circumstances for studying the influence of the ring. Uh, and that, of course, has been one of our uh, sort of longitudinal interests here as we've been going through Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so I am uh, excited to look at that this evening. Um, let me... Uh, uh, but before we start, though, one, okay, two, two things before we start. One uh, is a really awesome post uh, from the discussion board that I wanted to share with you guys. And first is an announcement slash reminder, uh, which is as we're getting close to the end of June, I wanted to make sure everyone is aware we're having a, a special for our Signum Path program. Our Signum Path program is, of course, our new program uh, for foundational soft skills to help in, uh, like, you know, life. And uh, we have our July and our August courses open for registration, and we're running a limited time special, our summer startup special, where if you enroll for a class in July, we'll give you a free class in August. Uh, we're just really excited uh, to help people discover PATH because it's brand new, uh, and we're really excited about it. So, um, if you uh, go to path.signumuniversity.org and you can click through on, on our limited time uh, summer startup special, uh, you can see here, just go to, all you have to do, go to the register button up here, register for a class, uh, and uh, cho choose any of our classes from the month of July. Uh, and then after you've registered for your July class, send an email to path at signumu.org uh, and let us know what August class you would like, and we'll manually add you to that. Um, so anyway, that's uh, a really exciting thing that's happening. It's happening through the end uh, of July uh, or June. That's what month we're in. June uh, for the registration for July, of course. Uh, so there's still uh, still some time uh, to get to get in on that, but I wanted to make sure that everybody had heard about that. Uh, so, path register now. July class is starting soon. All right, and now the second thing, which is the yes, path at signumu.org. That's the one. Um, okay, so what day in July do these sessions start? I'm for getting that. I'm pretty sure it's the, um, it's the first Monday, which in this case is like the seventh, actually, I think. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Don't have a calendar in front of me. Don't want to say the wrong... I always... I often say the wrong thing, remembering misplacing months in my head. Sixth. June 6th is the Monday. That'll be the one. Yeah. So, exactly. Good. Thank you, Angrist. I appreciate that. <laughs> I should have the calendar more pat, but I forget about it. Um, yeah. Good. Good. Um... Uh, so there we go. July 6th. <laughs> July 6th is the first Monday in July. June 6th. Uh, JJ, of course, as you point out, is not, in fact, the first Monday in July. Um, okay. <laughs> Very good. So, <clears throat> um, the, I want to go to the discussion board. So the, uh, uh, the post on the discussion board that I wanted to share 
was by Kate Neville, who's helping with dates again. You'll remember that Kate uh, gave a post, which I shared, uh, about the the dates of Bilbo and Aragorn when we were talking about the passage where Bilbo had said to Frodo uh, that he made the um, uh, the you know the not all who wander are lost uh, poem when uh, uh, when he first heard about Aragorn, and we were discussing when that would be um, last week. I was talking about um, last week. I was talking about the um, uh, time frame, uh, which is a little confusing, and I don't think it's me. Uh, that, I don't think it's my fault. I, I don't think I. It's, it's, not, it's not just me who's confused. Is what I'm saying. Um, but let's look at the timeline uh, as Kate has uh, very thoughtfully and helpfully both reconstructed and annotated it for us. So 2941, it's the famous year, Bilbo finds the ring, yada, 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 and sets off for home with Gandalf and Bjorn for part of the way, returning in the spring of 2942, that is returning to the Shire in 2942. When did the shadow fall on Gandalf's heart? At the moment Bilbo picked up the ring, while, while he was leading the dwarves out of the Misty Mountains? Unlikely. On the way back... Would that have been when Bilbo first told Gandalf the original fictionalized story about his dealings with Gollum? Was Bilbo particularly secretive about the ring, maybe only allowing Gandalf a brief glimpse of it? It may be that, before leaving Bjorn's home, Gandalf asked him to keep an eye out for Gollum and or had him send a message to Thranduil. This seems to me very plausible. Uh, that is, that you know, when Gandalf, when Gandalf says a shadow fell on my heart, then um, that the shadow to connect the shadow falling on Gandalf's heart with his first perception of some kind of effect on Bilbo, right? Whether it was because he suspected that the story that Bilbo was telling him about finding the ring was untrue, um, which would be enough to make him alarmed, right? To make a shadow fall on his heart because he knows that. Bilbo is a truthful hobbit, um, and why would he invent the story, right? And this is that's of course in keeping um, with what um, with what Gandalf says uh, 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 later to Frodo, right? Uh, back in the shadows of the past. Um, so, okay, so so that's that seems to me very plausible, and that it might have happened like during you know sometime during the course of the trip home seems to me perfectly fine. Would Gandalf have you know, at that point, along the way, begun the watch to see if Gollum would come out? Perhaps. Though one thing that I think, we, one trend we can see fairly clearly as we go through these dates is that um, Gandalf's actions are fairly, very precipitous during this whole thing, right? Um, so, you know, Gandalf immediately becoming sufficiently alarmed without further reflection, right, to, uh, uh, you know, send out a word and, and uh, you know, post guards to see if Gollum were to emerge from the Misty Mountains. Seems like um, a lot. You know, I, 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 so I, I, I'd rather doubt that, but, you know, maybe soon after. Anyhow, 2944, so three years after he loses the ring, Gollum leaves the Misty Mountains. He was noticed by someone, but could not be captured at the time. Kate's question... Why did Gandalf let the matter drop then? Right, He says he let the matter drop. He doesn't explain exactly why he let the matter drop. I think here that we can go back to the analysis we were doing before. Right, That is, 
this was a pretty unpressing thing. If he had some kind of presentiment, if he had some kind of, uh, you know, I got this shadow on his heart, um, he doesn't have much reason to take it seriously. And he certainly has no reason to think that, like, he's, uh, you know, what this shadow on his heart means is that he's uncovered the one ring that was thought to be lost. Like, that's, um, that is contrary to what he accepts as fact, right? So it, there's no reason to think, there's no reason for him to think that there's any urgency to this at all, right? Or certainly, even if there were some kind of urgency, which there isn't, um, wh- why would it have to do with, like, the ring, like, the nature of the ring itself, you know? Um, I don't, um, uh, I don't know. Oh, hey, uh, welcome, Freebird. I see we have another uh, uh, first-timer who's uh, joining us live for the first time. Uh, that's excellent. Ah, yes, the spouse of uh, another of our... Uh, regular attendees. Uh, always fun when uh, the uh, spouses get ineluctably drawn into the fun here. That's excellent. Um, yeah, Ray, Ray Burns, that seems to me very plausible that he might have thought any disquiet might be a lingering uh, dragon sickness. Yeah, I mean, Bilbo's had a, a, an experience, right? Even if Bilbo seemed changed in some way, would that be shocking? Right? I mean, remember Gandalf's comment in The Hobbit itself, right? When he, when Bilbo ma- right, makes his first, well, his second poetry, the first being the spider aggravation poetry, but uh, when he makes the song upon his return, right? When he sees the hill off in the distance and Gandalf turns to him and says, you are not the hobbit you used to be, right? He knows he's changed. He's seen that he's changed. So again, even if he is concerned, right? Even if he's thinking, wow, Bilbo's changed and not for the better, right? Even if that is his thought, it's not exactly, you know, a stop press kind of story, right? I mean, he'll look in on Bilbo every now and again. And if Bilbo's still struggling with this, you know, if he's still kind of processing, um, then, you know, there'll be, there'll be time. Uh, there'll be time to, um, sort this out and, you know, get him some, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress counseling and whatever he needs, right. To help him with this. Um, but, um, yeah, Arden Cran points out we also don't know how many vague hunches uh, Gandalf has had in general that didn't pan out, right? It might be a common occurrence. Absolutely, right? I mean, you got to think that for an itinerant wizard uh, seeking to oppose evil in Middle-earth, uh, a shadow falling upon your heart at some point, it's, it can't be a unique experience, right? So, yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Um, uh, yeah, okay, so... Uh, anyway, um, so why Gandalf let the matter drop? I don't even, it's, first of all, it's, it's kind of interesting that Tolkien never at any point, right? He's not in the appendices, nor does he in Gandalf's narrative. Gandalf never gives any excuse for that. He doesn't say like, I went off and I had this other really important thing to do. It just seems to kind of fall down the priority list. And it's the kind of thing which like in retrospect, obviously he's sort of, kicking himself for, right? I mean, like, that's, it's, now that the One Ring has been found, uh, that seems a very foolish thing indeed, right? But that's a hindsight uh, uh, conclusion, right? Absolutely no way he could possibly uh, have known that. Um, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Angris asks, wouldn't Gandalf's, uh, Gandalf reading Bilbo's account of his travels through Mirkwood raise potential concern? 
No, no, I don't think so. There's really nothing concerning about it. Um, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, he used the ring, right, uh, to make himself invisible. Uh, the only thing, the only thing even vaguely troubling, perhaps, in retrospect, and not only in retrospect, but with the benefit of retcon, um, would be Bilbo understanding the language of the spiders. But in The Hobbit, it's pretty clear that the spy- he understands the spiders because the spiders are speaking the same language that Bilbo does. Um, it's only wargs, apparently, who have a different language. Uh, uh, the, you know, the spiders seem to speak common, as far as we can tell. Um, and in the world of The Hobbit, that doesn't seem all that strange. It does. It would seem much more strange uh, in the world of the Lord of the Rings, and of course, Tolkien begins to imply a kind of backwards-oriented, uh, you know, a sort of a retconning explanation for that, right? With Sam, uh, uh, at least Sam's contemplations of this uh, when he, um, uh, when he is wearing the ring, right, uh, in. Uh, uh, um, and yeah, Irindus, you're absolutely right. Adarkop is universal, right? Uh, you, uh, that scarcely needs translating in order to be offensive, clearly. Um, and Tom Noddy, obviously, is insulting to anybody, um, presumably in, uh, in any language. Uh, uh, Dragon Tarachne is um, uh, speculating that perhaps the Necromancer runs a Westron as a second language training school for the spiders, um, especially those that are going to be uh, up near the path. Right, because for them it's it's obviously much more crucial. Um, oh man, Tora Marthen is suspecting that they actually speak Webstron uh, instead of Westron. That seems possible but unlikely. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, okay. So Gandalf lets it be. Five more years pass, right? 2949, Gandalf and Balin visit Bilbo in the Shire. Bilbo seems to be the comfortably settled hobbit they remember from 2941. Uh, Kate's commentary, there is no indication that he has been corrupted in any way. He is open, friendly, and welcoming. Phew, nothing to worry about after all, right? So yes, um, this is an excellent point by Kate. Not only does he have no reason to connect, uh, no concrete reason to connect this vague shadow that has fallen on his heart uh, with... Um, uh, and first of all, can I even say it's almost a bit of a leap to um, to connect it with Bilbo, necessarily. Gandalf only says that a shadow fell on his heart a- around the time that Bilbo uh, found the ring. Um, we, Kate, I think, was also making the assumption that Gandalf's... Sh- the shadow on Gandalf's heart was like Bilbo... Related, right? Bilbo-oriented shadow. But he doesn't necessarily say that. It could just be like at that point he experienced a, a general unease and didn't even necessarily connect it to Bilbo. But I think it's possible that he did. And if he did, seeing, you know, perceiving the change in his behavior and especially the, perceiving that he was lying to him about the story might have caused it. But I agree with Kate. No big alarm, right? It's now uh, seven years after his return, Bilbo's return, right? And he's fine. Seems fine. No problem, right? Um, 
so uh, this is another really good reason, as Kate points out. I think Kate is really, uh, 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 I, I, I think this is one of her strongest points here, to remind us that there was positive reason for Gandalf to be reassured about Bilbo. No reason to think that there's anything that there's anything wrong. Um, and uh, so, Mashley, when does Bilbo stop growing? I assume you mean stop growing old, right? Um, yeah, he does stop growing old, but it's going to be decades before that's apparent, right? Bilbo was 50, but he is, as Gandalf said, from a long-lived family uh, on his mother's side, right? He, I mean, he's the, he's the, what, grandson of, uh, yeah, grandson of the old Took. Uh, so, you know, him still looking... Uh, you know, like a hobbit in his 50s when he's in his 70s or 80s. Not all that weird, right? Um, As he said to himself, right? So it's not until Bilbo starts crossing 100 and still looks 50, right, that, you know, Gandalf and the other hobbits in the neighborhood begin to think it queer, right? So, um so yeah, that that did definitely happen uh, to him. He did not age uh, while he uh, had the ring. Um, but again, nothing to alarm Gandalf in that or make Gandalf suspicious specifically of the ring uh, for decades still yet to come. It's still only been seven years. Uh, you know, Bilbo's not even turned sixty yet, right? So uh, so that's uh, uh, so that's fine. Now let's keep going. Twenty nine fifty one. So again, looking back, that's two years after. Gandalf's visit to the Shire, right? So he's just been reassured that Bilbo's fine, right? No incipient evil, no, uh, you know, uh, he's not been seen like, uh, you know, giving megalomaniacal monologues or anything, you know, in the neighborhood, really. Um, so that's, um, so that's fine. Uh, two years afterwards is when Sauron declares himself openly in Mordor. Uh, and I think Kate's point here is really excellent. With the dragon dead and dwarves, men and elves living in harmony once more, the focus of Middle-earth geopolitics moves south. Yes. Um, and she'll talk about this more in just a second, but this is, I think, very important. The question of, hey, like, um, is there some vague issue? Is something wrong with Bilbo up in the Shire? I mean... He's very fond of Bilbo, Gandalf is, right? But let's face it, there are bigger things to think about right now, and there is no reason to think that anything going on with Bilbo up in the Shire has anything to do with, obviously, what is the headliner of not just the year, not just the decade, but the age, right? This of uh, The headliner of the third age of Middle-earth, which is Sauron is back. Sauron is back and he is setting up and war is coming. This is it, right? This is it. This is what I came uh, from Valinor to Middle-earth for, uh, to oppose Sauron. Uh, It's go time, right? And he's setting up in the south and we've got to be, we've got to be focusing on that. Um, Agreed, JJ. Bilbo is quite a little fellow in the wide world after all, as Gandalf has pointed out on perhaps more than one occasion, right? Um, Exactly. Okay, so... Two years after that, 2953, the White Council meets for the last time and Saruman declares that his studies prove the ring rolled down to the sea, 
right? Now, remember, when he quoted that, when Gandalf quoted that, it was clear that Saruman had been talking in this way, right? But the, 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 the time that he's remembering, the time that Gandalf is quoting from, was at this session in 2953. Now, here's Kate's commentary. Uh, would it not be easy to infer that Sauron also believed this when he allowed himself to be forced out of Dol Guldur? That is, that the ring was not there uh, in the river uh, at the Gladden Fields, or that it was gone, that it was perhaps inaccessible to him. Um, Saur- uh, Saruman's concept, right? Uh, again, once you think about it in terms of the activity of the Valar, right? Um, if instead of just thinking about some kind of by natural causes it rolled down to the sea, that's ridiculously unlikely, right? But if you think about it instead in terms of the Valar have stepped in and removed the, the, the One Ring from play, right? That doesn't sound that unlikely, right? And it does seem quite possible that Sauron might also have... Um, uh, that Sauron might also have come to that same kind of conclusion. He would know that the ring wasn't destroyed, but he does not know that it has... Uh, he has not really, necessarily, any reason to think, uh, yet, at this point, uh, that it's still around, that it's still in play. Um, yeah, so, Cecilia, I, I don't think... So, we have no evidence that Sauron can sense, like, the proximity of the ring at all. I don't think there is any evidence. In fact, I think there's plenty of counter-evidence to suggest that Sauron can definitely not sense the proximity of the ring. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) The light says, isn't there a precedence for something at the bottom of the sea being really secure, like Numenor or Beleriand? Well, Numenor is secure, that's for sure. Um, But, um, uh, yeah, now, Camlost, so, uh, in in response to the, the Mad Violinist was just saying that it would be an uncharacteristically direct intervention in the Third Age of Middle-earth. Well, I don't know about uncharacteristic. I would say certainly unusual in the context of the Third Age, or at least unusual as far as we know, right? Um, But how far is that exactly? That's one of the things I always question. Um, Sometimes people will make the argument, hey, like, like for instance, when I'm when I, when I'm saying things like you know I think we have, there are reasons to believe that the Valar are intervening during the course of the Lord of the Rings, and people will often say they don't do that anymore in the Third Age. To which I will respond, "How do you know? Are you sure?" Right? It is certainly true that most of the people of Middle Earth don't know it, right, or don't think about it that way, or don't realize that. The, but would they? Um, could it be? that the Valar don't intervene any less often than they did, say, during the Second Age, right? Now, between the First and Second Age, I could see a difference, right? Uh, There has been a change from the earlier days, right? After the, uh, you know, the the world made round and the taking away of Valinor out, you know, and the straight road and everything, it's, it's, things are different in the relationship between, uh, between Valinor uh, and, uh, and the world. So again, you could say that, and I know that's, that's the world made round is at the end of the second age, right? We know that they were still active 
in during the Second Age. Could they still be active, though, in the Third Age? Um, the fact that they're removed, right, that Valinor is, Valinor is removed, could mean that the Valar are less active. That's certainly possible. I don't think it need mean that, right? The removal of Valinor from the rest of the world is explicitly about its being more difficult for people from the world to get there, right? There's only the one path anymore to get there, but I don't know that it necessarily means that the Valar themselves refuse ever to uh, refuse ever to come, uh, in, you know, to interact with the world themselves. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, Marielle, I agree with you. I really also want a last day of Numenor instance uh, in Lotro. That yeah, agreed. That totally that totally needs to happen. Um, but um, anyway, so, but again, back to my point. My point is, let's just assume, for argument's sake, right, that the Valar do still intervene in Middle-earth during the Third Age, like they did, in some ways like they did during the Second Age, right? Um, what would happen? What would be the consequences of that? Would the people of Middle-earth know it? Most of them don't even know that the Valar exist, right? I mean, that's... Some of them do. The descendants of Numenor do. The elves do. Those who are learned in elvish lore do. But most of them don't. So, um... Anyway. Anyway. Um... It's, uh... To me, it's... it's not really sure, but anyway, okay. Let's um, let's get back to um, let's get back to the larger point here. Sauron. I agree with Kate that I think it's likely um, that Sauron doesn't have any idea where the ring is. Um, her premise that he would not have left Dol Guldur so easily. He could have put up a fight. He doesn't put up a fight, right? If he really wanted to stay, if he thought that staying near the Gladden Fields would enable him to continue searching more, right? If he, if he was like, the ring's got to be here, right? Um, I just need to get more orcs to dredge the river, right? You know, until we find it. Uh, I need to get a whole team of, of, you know, hobgoblin archaeologists down here to, you know, quarter the ground and figure this out. Um, if that's, um, if that's, what was happening? He he could have he could have resisted, right? But he didn't resist. Um, so anyway, so I, I I do agree. I think it's likely that he was not searching for the ring. Certainly not there at that time. Um, certainly not anymore. If he I, I, he knew it wasn't there, might have been giving up on it. Okay. Anyway, so. She goes on, the main concern for the wise then would not be Sauron with the ring, but Sauron as a military power with control over the Nazgul. It was through them that the kingdom of Arnor was destroyed. Clearly, Sauron's next step is going to be the destruction of Gondor. And of course, I would add in support of Kate's argument here, lo and behold, what occurs, right? The Witch King comes out and engages in battle for the first time in ever so long, 
right? And drives Gondor before him, and you know a new power was there that we had not seen before, and um, and they and they know, right? But it's pretty clear, I think, from Boromir's words there, we they they knew they were hosed, right? They cannot stand up to the Witch King. They know that they can. This is why he left. Right? Why would the general, the captain general of the armies of Gondor abandon the city and go on a journey of 110 days one way in order to try to get an answer to, uh, you know, an interpretation to a poem that they didn't understand because they had no other hope, right? Because he knew it was nothing he could do, right? He could be the best captain general that Gondor's ever had. He's not going to be able to beat the Witch King, right? Um, they knew that they couldn't win. Um, so, again, as Kate said, this is uh, the ring. That's, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The question is, can they beat Sauron as is? Sauron and the Nazgul, right? Uh, and they've got it, you know, clearly, that this is a big, uh, this is a big problem. It's a big problem. Um, okay. I keep stopping reading her commentary here. Uh, right. Okay. Bilbo's little invisibility ring seems to all common sense not to matter. If Sauron had in fact found the ring while at Dol Guldur, they were all, they're all screwed anyway. Right. Exactly. So they don't, I mean, they don't know for a fact he didn't, he doesn't have it. Right. It's theoretically possible that he got his ring back somehow. Um, in which case, again, as Kate points out, they're all pretty much screwed. Right. So um, uh, one way or the other. Okay. Over the next 50 years, Gandalf meets and befriends Aragorn, but apparently doesn't say anything to him about Bilbo and the Ring, as they would be primarily concerned about preparing him for the eventual war between Mordor and Gondor. Gandalf certainly visited the Shire more than once during this time, as he knew Frodo fairly well by... Okay, so we know Gandalf and uh, Aragorn are friends, right? Um, And he doesn't say anything about the ring to Aragorn, right? And again, Kate's point is a really good one. He's not... What is Gandalf's main concern? Gandalf is the enemy of Sauron, right? And so he's thinking about the the war that's coming. How are we going to survive, much less win, right? How can we defeat Sauron? That's his job description. That's what he came to Middle-earth to help to do, right? To help the free peoples to defeat Sauron. How are they going to do it? Well, He's met Aragorn, right? So this is helpful. Um, But yes, I agree. His work with Aragorn is going to be focused southward, right? Um, September 3001, the birthday party. Sometime after, Gandalf seeks for news of Gollum and asks the Dúnedain to double the watch on the Shire. So it's this moment, at the moment of the birthday party that Gandalf's fears crystallize, right? Something clearly is wrong with Bilbo. I've been noticing that he doesn't seem to age. Remember, he's not been visiting him all the time, and he's got other really big things on his mind, right? Now the pieces come together for him. He is not aging like he should, right? There's something preserving Bilbo's life, right? He has this magic ring. The shadow fell on my heart at about the time that Bilbo found the ring. I thought it might have been something else, like, you know, driving the necromancer out of Mirkwood, who revealed him, you know, who I knew to have been Sauron, right? There were other things that could have made a shadow fall on his heart just then. 
But yeah, and then now let's think about oh yeah, and his lying about the ring and everything, and that, which fitting it fits in with what Gandalf would have seen in that conversation with Bilbo when he was trying to give up the ring. Yeah, he said and he did and said things that night, right? So now Gandalf is thinking, wait a second, there is something wrong with this ring, um, and you've got to think that he's beginning to ask the what if question, right? What if? What if? Again, Bilbo's ring were the great ring. I, I think that question can't have crossed his mind until now, right? Um, but now he's got to figure it out. He can't guess, the, you know, he can't operate on it, right? Um, he needs, because it's really unlikely anyway, like Saruman knows that it can't be, right? So, uh, and again, this, I go back to, um, uh, C. Schwab's argument from before, like a, a careful scholar who has uncovered evidence to suggest that the prevailing theory very confidently put forward by the greatest expert in the field might be wrong, he's not just going to run Herring off and uh, bring his first suspicions. He's going he's gonna to wait, right? Uh, so as not to argue with a great expert and so as not to embarrass anybody, including himself, um, he's going to be careful, right? So he's going to first go and try to establish the truth of the matter first, right? So that's what he does. Now, uh, Kate points out that Gandalf says in the council that Gandalf opens his heart to Aragorn somewhere around this time. Did he do that immediately after the party? Well, what she points out, and this is where I was sticking in my own head with the with the dates when we were talking about this last time. According to the to Appendix B, it is three thousand and nine, eight years after the party, when Gandalf and Aragorn set out on the hunt for the ring. Um, this means one of two. Well, let me read Kate's commentary first. Was the earlier seeking for news only information gathering by Gandalf? Did Gandalf send messages to the Bjornings and the elves to learn if there were still rumors of Gollum hanging around the Anduin Vale? If so, that would imply Gandalf left the Misty Gollum, sorry, left the Misty Mountains because there were no longer enough goblins for him to eat, not because he wanted to find the ring. Did he first that so if if Gollum were still living in the region, right? Um, you know, just kind of um, still somehow living a, you know, if, if Gollum's moved on, right, and he's just cheerfully, I don't know what, throttling babies or something, uh, you know, living his own life uh, on his own terms somewhere in the greater Mirkwood area, then yeah, it probably wasn't to seek the ring at all, right, that he left. It would have been from for some other reason, right? Um, that's if it's known that he's still that he's still living there. Gilgonthir suspects that Gollum has a little fishing cabin uh, somewhere up there. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, okay, so um, did he first only ask Aragorn to make inquiries among the Dúnedain settlements of Eriador? It's unknown. That is, was there a phase one of the, you know, before the two of them set off to hunt for Gollum? Exactly. You know, did uh, did he did he meet with Aragorn right away in 3001 after the party and say, okay, look, um, there's this hobbit. 
I mentioned it before. Uh, he has this ring. I think it might be the Ring of Power. I really do. Right? We know that he told that to Aragorn because of Aragorn's comment about deeming it that is deeming it fit that Isildur's heir should work to uh, uh, to atone for for Isildur's fault. Right? Um, if he's thinking about Isildur's fault. Whatever exa- where, wherein ever exactly that fault lay, as we discussed before, he's clearly thinking about the One Ring, right? Uh, this is not just a, uh, you know, a, a kind of miscellaneous uh, 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 moment of, uh, of urgency there. Um, anyway, so... Um, Okay. Nevertheless, by 3009, Aragorn is fully aware of the implications. It matters enormously to know whether this is indeed the One Ring, and so finding Gollum is worth at least another eight years of on-the-ground rangering, because that, of course, is exactly what happens. The Hunt for Gollum by Gandalf and Aragorn lasts a long time. So again, let's think about this gap here, the gap between 3001 and 3009, because that's, to me... The hardest one, um, uh, the hardest one to understand. And thank you, Trifle, for adding that. Trifle uh, wants to add the date that Gollum is stated to reach Mordor and meet Shelob, which was 2980. So 20 years before Bilbo's birthday party, he's gotten to Mordor uh, and met Shelob. So presumably when they found where he lived... Right again now. We, so we know that Gollum lived for decades, like thirty years at least, in Athelion, right before he was captured. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yes. So, okay. Yeah, let's see. Uh, Rowan, I'm, I don't remember exactly. Uh, Aragorn, let's see. How old is Aragorn? He's old already. I mean, by 3009? When was Aragorn born? In the 30s, wasn't it? Late 20s? Yeah, 39. That's what I thought. Yeah, 29, 39. Um, so he's 80-ish, Right? Uh, by by now, yeah, he's uh, a strapping strapping young Numenorean lad by this time. Yeah, exactly. Okay, um, so all right, eight years, eight years pass between Gandalf's uh, doubts being blown up to sudden flame at the birthday party to you know to, to to sudden fear and when he and Aragorn set off to hunt for Gollum um, he says and uh, thanks Lupilia for this L- Lupilia was just quoting uh, the passage where he says time passed with many cares until my doubts were awakened again to sudden fear that was 17 years ago right the time of the birthday party Soon I became aware that spies were gathered around the Shire. I called for the help of the Dunedain. Soon I became aware that spies were gathered around the Shire. So that's what he noticed first. Like, so he, he um, sought for news of Gollum 
and ask the Dunedain to double the watch on the Shire. Presumably, the result of asking the Dunedain to double the watch on the Shire was his discovery that there were many spies gathered around the Shire. The Dunedain would have told him, right? Hey, yeah, uh, so it turns out we're not the only ones watching the Shire. There's all kinds of, you know, weird things, spies and such, surrounding the Shire, right? Okay, so... That could have been learned by the Dunedain doubling their watch. But what was Gandalf doing? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know. I... the gaps here are hard for me to explain. And to be totally honest, this has the feeling of imperfectly retconned material on Tolkien's part. We know that he thought very carefully about the time frame. We also know that the time frame had already been set. The 17-year time frame was already set. Um, The logic of the narrative is that Gandalf's alarm... Right, his first, the beginnings of his first active inquiries into what the Bilbo's ring was, his first active suspicions that maybe, just maybe, it could be the Ring of Power, would necessarily have happened after the birthday party. But the seventeen-year time gap is already established, right? So he's got to spend that time somehow. And notice he's dividing it in half in the in the chronology here, right? Um, you know, there's the gap of 17 years, 16 years, technically, right, between the birthday party and when the final events start kicking up there in three and 3017. Um, because, of course, just I, well, I'll just go ahead and read that. At some point late summer, perhaps, in 3017, Gollum is, is let out of Mordor and found by Aragorn in the Dead Marshes. In the meanwhile, Gandalf has gone to Minas Tirith for research. Not listed in the annals, but according to the text, on his way to the Shire, Gandalf hears of the capture of Gollum and goes to Mirkwood for his interrogation. So he sets out from Minas Tirith, heading back to the Shire. On his way back to the Shire from Minas Tirith, hears that Gollum has been found and diverts his trajectory over to Mirkwood. Right? Um... So the exact time of this is not said, but it might well have been the turn of the year as Gandalf arrived back in Hobbiton on April 12th, 3018. That's when he shows back up in Bag End. And that's, of course, why it takes him so long to get there after he read the uh, text that we are in the midst of discussing from Isildur, right? Um, so 17, 16 years, let's call it 16 years, right, between... Gandalf's fear and suspicions being aroused at last and when he finally reads Isildur's text and thinks that he has at the very least a definite proof that can be a definite test that can be made right Um, 16 years and so what do we see in the annals Tolkien has put the timing of the beginning of the search Right with Aragorn halfway between the two endpoints, which were already established. Right, um, so 
Yeah. Um, I do agree, JJ, that communication and research would take considerable time. Years, multiple years passing, not strange, right? Eight years seems to me pretty long, right? Um, I mean, notice that he gets from Minas Tirith to the Shire in, well, under a year with a side trip, a lengthy side trip to Mirkwood to interrogate Gollum, right? And from then set off to go back uh, to, uh, uh, to the Shire. So, yeah, it's a big deal. But, of course, like the whole there and back again journey happened in a year, too, in a year as well. Right. Um, so, again, I'm saying like I do get the fact I, I have no objection whatsoever to something taking one, even two or three years. But eight years, that's a long time. That's a long time. Um, and. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know what we're to understand Gandalf doing. So one of the questions that I ask myself then is one of two things must be true, right? Either. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to question any of the dates from Appendix B. Um, what I'm saying is one of two things has to be true. Either Gandalf opened his heart to Aragorn right away in 3001 or soon thereafter, right? Maybe he didn't find him until the following year. Aragorn could have been hard to find. And again, people traveling around, it takes a long time. You know, he can't exactly text Aragorn and say, you know, get a hop on the next train and meet me in Bree, you know, in a couple days. Like it could well take six months to locate Aragorn, right? Maybe more. But anyway, did he right away, whenever right away was after September 3001, did he right away open his heart to Aragorn and the two of them didn't set off to hunt for Gollum until 3009? Or did he wait, spend eight years doing his own private inquiries and then he opens his mind to Aragorn and at that point they're like, okay, let's hunt for Gollum. Um... Matt says maybe he got caught up doing side quests, uh, uh, thinking about um, Lupilia as uh, the, the the passage that she just quoted uh, about um, uh, having many cares, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm I'm thinking, I'm thinking. If I have to guess. And I do have to guess, because we're not told, right? So if I had to guess, um, I, uh, I think he doesn't open his mind to Aragorn until 3009. And here's why I would say that. The decision to go hunt for Gollum, even though the track is very cold, has all of the, the sort of the earmarks of a new initiative, Right. Um, Gandalf has been doing. So if Gandalf were doing one thing for the first eight years, gathering, seeking for news. Right. So he's he's, you know, has have there been any rumors about Gollum? Right. Uh, have we, um, uh, you know, can, can, does anybody know where he currently is? Uh, you know, can uh, and, and, and I'm going to like and I'm going to I'm going to get the Dunedain to double their watch on the Shire and I'm going to stay posted on what's going on there. And I'm going to learn that there are spies around it and everything. Then he's like, I'm getting nowhere. 
I got nothing. So he goes to Aragorn and says, all right, I need help. Right? I need help. Um, What should we do? And Aragorn is like, you know what? Let's track him. That's what I do. I'm a tracker. Right? And and, uh, uh, Gandalf is like, are you serious right now? That trail is like 60 years old. And uh, uh, Aragorn's like, you want to do something else? Like, you've been trying other things for the last eight years, and it hasn't worked, right? So let's try it my way. And Gandalf's like, good point. Let's try it your way. And off they go in 3008. Um, so, I, I, do you see what I mean? Like, that, the whole let's track him thing not only is kind of an Aragornish sort of thing to suggest, right? Um, but again, it has the feeling of, like, okay, this um, this initiative has some new enthusiasm behind it. Like, Aragorn is on the job now. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, that, that, um, yeah, Angrist says that, uh, Aragorn makes it seem like hunting, uh, for Gollum was his idea, not Gandalf's. Um, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I, I agree. I mean, that, that to me sort of makes sense. Gan- the idea of Gandalf traveling around himself, trying to learn what he can learn about Gollum's present about Gollum's past um, how much time might he have spent in the in the Misty Mountains themselves in the tunnels looking around for evidence of Gollum anyone who knew any of Gollum's backstory how long had he been here right there's there's a lot of time that he could have spent so eight anxious years by Gandalf right trying to learn everything that he can until Gandalf himself is at his wit's end right Gandalf doesn't know what to do next um all of his researches have failed. All of his endeavors have dried up. Um, he feels more and more sure that this is important, especially now that he sees the spies gathering around. He not only suspects has his suspicions about Bilbo in the ring, he now also suspects somebody else has suspicions about Bilbo in the ring, right? Whoever that could be. And that can't be good, right? So now there's this special urgency, right? Um, and... Uh, uh, yes, Kit, and exactly, and he's trying to find out without triggering suspicion. He doesn't want to set off rumors. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so it's a, it's a quiet and ticklish business, and he's, he's going to be, Gandalf is going to be doing a lot of traveling, he's going to be very concerned, and he's going to be keeping his own counsel. He probably would tell Elrond, he probably would tell Galadriel, but he's not going to talk about it in general. Um, we don't even know for a fact that he necessarily talked to them about it at this time. Um, yeah, so I could see him trying for eight years, uh, to follow leads and figure things out until, uh, he finally works, you know, decides to work with Aragorn. But then of course, eight more years, they are traveling together, searching for clues, tracking Gollum down for eight more years. Because they don't have a trail to follow. It's extremely difficult and extremely faint. Um, and we don't know exactly when it was. Uh, but, <laughs> that is, we're told, excuse me, that Aragorn and Gandalf do track down where he went, right? Where he stayed. They found his lair, or whatever, right? Uh, down in, somewhere in the Oh, sorry. Down in the greater Athelian um, uh, 
area. And yes, it, it's not like they're doing nothing else for eight years. Uh, uh, it does say at intervals, trifle, as you say. Um, but um, yeah, so we don't know exactly if it's 3017 when Gollum is released and then found. It could well have been um, a couple years before that they found, they tracked him down to his lair uh, down there near Mordor and found no more evidence of him, right? Um, yeah, Sam, as you point out, they're utterly lacking the ring marker on the map to determine his location, right? I mean, just think how, how hard that quest was to achieve without a quest ring to uh, orient yourself on uh, and without a little arrow on your mini-map. So absolutely. Um, when did Gandalf give up? And go to Minas Tirith? Well, again, we don't know exactly that. Uh, but I rather doubt that he was there for years, right? He could have been there for months, conceivably. Uh, anyone who has done any archival work will know it is easy to spend months going through, uh, you know, a collection like they might well have in the libraries at Minas Tirith. Uh, so... Um, you know, Gandalf could have been there for some time, but I doubt it was years. I doubt it was years. It was probably somewhere in 3017, maybe late 3016, uh, that Gandalf takes off and goes to Minas Tirith. So a significant amount of time has passed that he and Aragorn have been searching together. Anyway, thank you so much, Kate, for uh, uh, working this out, uh, giving us these uh, notes and thoughts. Uh, I think that was really excellent and very helpful. Helps to really help me get my head around exactly sort of the implications of these things uh, as we're as we're moving forward. Okay. With that in mind, let's go back to our text where we were. Okay, I'll start at the beginning. We start we talked about the first paragraph already, uh, but we'll uh, we'll move through we'll move through it quickly and then go to the main thing. My primary interest Check out the evidence of ring influence, because I think it's pretty awesome. The great ring shall now go to be an heirloom of the North Kingdom, but records of it shall be left in Gondor, where also dwell the heirs of Elendil, lest a time come when the memory of these great matters shall grow dim. And after these words, Isildur described the ring such as he found it. It was hot when I first took it, hot as a gleed, and my hand was scorched, so that I doubt if ever again I shall be free of the pain of it. Yet even as I write, it is cooled, and it seemeth to shrink, though it loseth neither its beauty nor its shape. Already the writing upon it, which at first was as clear and red as flame, was as clear as red flame, sorry, which at first was as clear as red flame, fadeth, and is now only barely to be read. It is fashioned in an elven script of Eregion, for they have no letters in Mordor for such subtle work, but the language is unknown to me. I deem it to be a tongue of the black land, since it is foul and uncouth. What evil it saith I do not know, but I trace here a copy of it, lest it fade beyond recall. The ring misseth, maybe, the heat of Sauron's hand, which was black and yet burned like fire, and so Gilgalad was destroyed. And maybe, were the gold made hot again, the writing would be refreshed. But for my part, I will risk no hurt to this thing, of all the works of Sauron, the only fair." It is precious to me, though I buy it with great pain. So much here. Okay. 
Um, first of all, there's been some discussion on the discussion board about his uh, determination for it to be an heirloom of the North Kingdom as being a, a fairly uh, kind of uh, generous and uh, uh, sort of like not a hundred percent self-focused, possession-oriented by Isildur, right? Um, and also, of course, the, this betrays the fact that none of them have any idea that possessing the ring is going to protract your life. Um, as, of course, how would anyone even guess that, uh, since no one has ever held the ring other than Sauron before? So uh, nobody knows what effect it has on a mortal exactly. Um, but... Um, yeah, oh, Marielle, hang on to that observation, because we're coming back to that in a minute. Um, Irendis, is this the only account we have of Gilgalad's death? Yes, so far as I know. And to be totally honest, I don't particularly like to think about it. What did he do? How, like, what was Gilgalad's cause of death? Uh, like, and so Gilgalad was destroyed with the heat of Sauron's hand, which was black and yet burned like fire? Oof, I can... Th- I mean, I can think of several causes of death, none of them pleasant there. Um, I, you know, I really, yeah, don't, <laughs> don't know um, what is implied there, but um, sorcerer's stone-like hand to the face, something like that. Yeah, is kind of what I'm picturing, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Trifle points out that immolation is not an unknown cause of death for Nolder and High Kings. Uh, no, no, though uh, this, I believe, Trifle would be the first instance of immolation from without. Uh, there was a previous Nolder and High King who was immolated from within, but that's quite different. Um, Fingen was, no, Fingen was beaten to death. Uh, he, he was like pulped. Uh, didn't the didn't the Balrogs thump his body into into the into the mud? Um, oh, that was post mortem, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps it was post mortem. Yeah, we can. We, 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 I guess we'd have to do an autopsy on the Hroa of Fingen in order to figure out exactly what caused uh, what 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 uh, what caused his death. It's quite possible that they just stomped on his body uh, after the fact. It's possible. But did it say that it was fire? Specifically, I mean, I know he was he was uh, struck down, yeah, with Gothmog, uh, Gothmog's axe, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, I always imagine getting chopped down and then beaten, uh, beaten into oblivion, squashed into jelly, Tormarthen. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the chapter two trolls would approve. Um, and and uh, Mad Violinist, of course, you're technically correct that Fanor's immolation was also post-mortem. Certainly true. Um, but um, anyway, uh, yeah, interesting. Lalith points out that uh, it's important to notice that for Tolkien, the cause of death seems unimportant. He was just destroyed, which is much more mythic. Yeah, um, you're so right, Lalith. Tolkien has a really good ear for this. Uh, instead of indulging in a blow-by-blow, blow, right? Instead of giving us the, you know, like the 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 instant replay of Glorf, uh, not Gorfindel's death, that's earlier on, um, of Gilgalad's death, right? Instead of giving us like, and then Sauron did this, and then Gilgalad went, oh, and then the, you know he went, like he doesn't give us, he just says, 
And so Gilgalad was destroyed. And I agree by not giving us the details, right? Um, by not giving us the details, he preserves the mythic state of uh, Gilgal, the mythic status of Gilgalad's death. And yet, by mentioning the detail of the burning hand of Sauron that was black yet burned like fire, he invokes lots of potential gruesome, horrifying. <laughs> imaginings, right? Which then get kind of added to the, the, the mythic thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Marielle, that's a wonderful way to say it, that Tolkien knows well the horror of what isn't said. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, and yes, Mad Violinist, I do agree. Uh, this is, I think, one of the things that... Uh, uh, George R. R. Martin sometimes does this well. There are some things that Martin does uh, as far as like leaving unsaid and allowing to be mythic. But yes, uh, a lot of modern fantasists tend towards the side of more detail and description uh, rather than uh, rather than less. And Tolkien often took the uh, what I think is certainly the wiser course there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Ah, Catrana is pointing out we do get into darkness fell his star uh, in Mordor where the shadows are, right back when Sam was singing the song. Um, right, but that's, of course, purely poetic. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think we can kind of get, uh, you know, any kind of um, sort of cause and effect out of there. Um, but, um, anyway, yeah, uh, okay, <laughs> Green Great Dragon thinks it's better than being slain by a stone. It's true, Anarian has the most, uh, disappointing death of all of the heroes of the, of the Last Alliance, clearly, clearly, um, okay. Um, now, enough for the, uh, mythic, shrouded with mystery and yet vaguely horrifying death of Gilgalad here. Um, look at his description of the ring. First of all, notice the circumstances, notice the circumstances of the writing, Right? There's a detail that I never really thought about much before, um, and I've only just noticed as we were been reading it here together that I'm really excited about. He remembers when he first took it, right? It was hot when I first took it, past tense, right? Hot as a gleed, and my hand was scorched so that I doubt if ever again I shall be free of the pain of it. Stop. What have we learned? What have we learned? What have we learned about Isildur in the ring already? Just from that. What do we learn about his attitude to the ring? Yes, Fourth Dauntless. He seized it impulsively and without forethought. That's exactly what it said. He knew! That Sauron's hand was black and yet burned like fire. Because he saw Gilgalad get destroyed by it, right? Isildur is going to be the last person to not 
to, I mean, he's, it's, it's not like he doesn't realize that it might be hot, right? Um, he doesn't. Oh, yeah, sorry. And yes, the word gleed, which I love the word gleed. Uh, and this is still one of the only written texts I've come across in the, you know, from the 20th century on that uses the word gleed. Uh, it, it does. It means a hot coal, a hot burning coal. Um, so he knows the ring. He knows that Sauron's hand was hot. And yet, when he first took it, his hand was scorched. Now, there are two possible, I think, two possible interpretations of this, right? One is that uh, Fort Thalas, I had exactly the same thought that you had, right? That it suggests that he reached out, that he took it in his hand right away without thinking, right? Re- uh, suggesting a kind of eagerness, uh, so, uh, you know, a desire which um, overmastered his caution, right? That's one thing, uh, one possible reading. Another possible reading is that the ring retains the heat much longer than natural, than is natural, right? Um, so if... Urias Isildur, you've just looted the corpse of Sauron. Presumably he was wearing gloves when he did that, right? Again, he just watched whatever just happened to Gilgalad, right? So in order to remove the ring, uh, you know, he cuts the ring from Sauron's hand. Uh, he knows Sauron's hand is hot. So surely he was, um, um, surely he was, uh, uh, you know, so first he's got to cut off Sauron's finger, and then he's got to take the finger out of the ring, right? And now he's holding the ring in his hand. So I got one of two things have either happened: either as soon as he like removes Sauron's uh, severed digit from the thing and you know tosses Sauron's severed finger over his shoulder, right? And now he's holding the ring in his obviously gloved hand, right? Because he uh, just was handling the burning hand of. Uh, the still smoking corpse of Sauron, presumably, right? Um, then he uh, takes the ring immediately in his own palm, his own naked palm, or is it not his naked palm? Does it burn through his gloves? Um, I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it does burn through his gloves. Um Or does he, is he sensible, right? Is he sensible? Does he put the ring, you know, so again, he's handling it with gloves. Maybe he's not initially burned. Um, and he, you know, puts the ring, I don't know, in a pouch or something. And is like, okay, I'll handle it later on when it's cool. And then he comes back to it that night, maybe, right? Uh, maybe you know, hours later. So now he's, got, so they've... Um, He's gone down the slopes of Orodruin, right? Him and Elrond, uh, you know, the two survivors. Uh, and Círdan, three survivors. I always forget about Círdan. So the three of them come back down to the army. The army sets up camp there on the plain, right? He's in his tent later on that night, and he's like, so, about that ring of power, right? Might as well take a, take a look at that. Um, so he takes it out. And says, and thinking to himself, surely it must be cool by now, dumps it into his palm and bam, he's scorched, right? 
Yeah, nomad violence, I agree. It says when first I took it. Um, does that mean from Sauron? Perhaps so. Um, again, in this reading, in this delayed burning, in the, in the delayed burning version, it would have to be when first I took it would mean like when first I held it, like the first time I held it in my hand, right? Um, not when I first removed it from Sauron's corpse, right? Um, but maybe so, right? Maybe so. So again, as I said, I think there are two readings of it. The one is the delayed uh, taking of the ring and his being surprised by the fact that it's still hot enough to burn his skin even, what, like hours later or something. The other is that his desire for the beauty of the ring was such that it overcame his very natural caution and he immediately burns his hand on it as soon as he removes it from the scorching hand of Sauron. Um, the former, the delayed one, tells us more about the nature of the ring, right? Uh, but the second one would suggest something more about his desire for the ring, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to say, I think on balance, I think that the delayed one works, but uh, you know, it certainly suggests a more calm and collected Isildur, right? Uh, but, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, Trifle says natural caution and Isildur don't seem to go well together, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I could go with that. Um, we don't have, we don't see much in Isildur's char- uh, character, which would seem to suggest that he was a cautious fellow. Uh, remember his solo expedition as like a teenager uh, in Numenor, right, to rescue the sapling of the white tree. Uh, remember the fact, the thing which to me always speaks most about, when I think about Isildur's personality, right, I think about what is what it, what is suggested about Isildur's personality that he built Minas Ithil where he did, right? He comes knowing this is Sauron's stronghold, and he builds his stronghold on the outer slopes of the mountains that are the walls of Mordor, right? That's who Isildur was. So yeah, cautious? No, I don't think so. I doubt it. Um, but um, anyway, okay. So uh, <laughs> Nancy's wondering if the if the 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 letters the uh, the fire letters are burned into. Uh, into uh, Isildur's hand uh, uh, like the German guy in Raiders of the Lost Ark? Uh, Good question. No idea. No idea. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Marielle says, what about that time uh, that he took the time to save a giant black stone from a sinking island? Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Okay, everybody, what do you want to pack on board ship for our long and dangerous journey? Oh, yeah, I've got this I've got this 500-pound rock I'd like to bring with me. Is that okay? Anybody have any objections? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, anyhow. Uh, so let's go with... So I, I'm prepared to go with impulsive grabbing of the ring, right? Um, impulsive probably imprudent grabbing of the ring, which then burns him, right? So, if this is correct, 
then we have evidence. Again, I'm not going to call this super strong evidence, but we have evidence that his desire for the that, that desire for the ring might have been acting upon him immediately, right? But notice when he's writing this text. He's writing this text very soon. The fire writing has not faded from it yet. Even as I write, it is cooled, and it seemeth to shrink, though it loseth neither its beauty nor its shape, he says. Describing it, but already fixating on the beauty and shape of the ring. It's round. It's a ring, right? Anybody who looks at the ring and starts thinking about how perfect was its roundness and all that kind of thing, I get real suspicious right away, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, exactly. Mad Violinist, I am assuming that he's writing the same night in camp. Um, yes, absolutely. I'm assuming that. Um, whether or not he's writing with his burned hand, I don't know. Uh, but even the impulse to write this description is to me interesting. Right away, obviously. I mean, it's still cooling, so even, I mean, obviously it's taking an unusual amount of time to cool. Does it take weeks to cool? I doubt it, right? Um, it's probably hours after the battle, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, even as I write, it is cooled and it seemeth to shrink, though it loseth neither its beauty nor its shape. Here's the part that I never thought about before. And it seemeth to shrink. Why does it shrink? I always skipped over that because it seems to be connected to the cooling. Right? Like it sounds like that. Like it's cooling and shrinking and... Exactly, Mad Violinist. It's shrinking to fit his hand. Yes. The shrinking of the ring is evidence of the ring adapting itself to a new master. Right? That, um, that I think, seems clearly what's happening here. Um... Yes, J.J. says that, uh, points out that Frodo's already mentioned that Bilbo warned him that it seemed to change sizes. Yes, exactly. This is definitely a property of the ring. Um, we even get that in The Hobbit itself. Um, in, by the way, a line which Tolkien changed as well, most of the business at the back gate with the goblins and the blind man's buff and everything that's happening there, right, was Bilbo's trying to escape and the buttons on the doorstep, that whole sequence, most of that's in the first edition. But the, there's a line that he, um, the bit that he adds is the bit about how, so when, remember, Bilbo comes around the corner and finds he's not wearing the ring, right? And he, he is surprised. He thinks he's wearing the ring, but he's not wearing the ring. Um, and he shrieks, a shriek which sounds like an echo of Gollum's despair. That's new. That's in the second edition. That's post Ring of Power line right there. And, the line that says, as if the ring were playing one last trick before taking a new master, that's also 
in the second edition. That's not in the first edition either. Both of those comments, the the shriek of Bilbo, which is like an echo of Gollum's despair, and the concept of the ring taking a new master, playing one last trick on him before taking a new master, those are both post-Lord of the Rings revisions, composition of writing Lord of the Rings revisions uh, of chapter five of, the, of that, the end of chapter five of The Hobbit. Um, so... Um, Anyway, no, I'm not likening the burning of Isildur to one last trick. I'm just saying I'm 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 instead focusing on the taking a new master line part of that line, right? Um, the ring has clearly taken a new master now, right? Um, so we have every reason to believe that whatever influence the ring has going for it, it is clearly targeting Isildur, and we have an increasing number of um, of circumstantial evidence that Isildur is experiencing that um, that influence, right? The, the focus on its beauty and its shape. You know, his just admiration of the beauty of the ring, which we've seen in almost those same terms, right? By Frodo in his own parlor in Bag End. Um, the fact that it's shrinking to fit his hand, taking him, uh, Isildur, as its new master. Um, his, again, reverting uh, to, uh, you know, immediately after that, to it's not, it's losing its beauty or its shape. Um, and just the fact of him describing it, right? I just, this whole scene, right? Let's say it's the night of the battle the first night after the battle, right? Whether it's then or whether it's later, in either case, he's sitting there first saying, I doubt if I, if ever again I shall be free of the pain of it. My hand is still burning uh, from the scorching. I am still bearing the permanent pain, what I fear will be permanent pain uh, from this. And yet, instead of thinking to myself, I want nothing more to do with this cursed thing, right? Can I chuck it into the fire or something? No. Um, instead, he's sitting it on a table there and staring at it and writing about it, right? Um, that's uh, that's pretty... Uh, in, I don't know, suggestive, right? Pretty pretty suggestive. Just thinking of him just kind of sitting there obsessing about it, right? I'd like to write a diary entry about how beautiful the ring is. Um, again, even his writing this now uh, seems to me a little bit on the obsessive part. Yeah, Irendis is pointing out that he, he seems to both love and hate the ring already. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, we, we certainly can see that element of the... Um, uh, of the of the relationship. Um, Matt says it's an interesting property to add to the ring, the size variability thing. Um, one who can shift his shape would consider making a ring that changes sizes to match the form of its master. Sure, yeah, you can't have, um, you know, you can't take the form of, uh, you know, Anatar or some, you know, an Anatar-ish creature and, uh, and have this big old clunky ring falling off your finger, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so no trifle. So uh, there 
again, would be, it seems to me, two interpretations of the burn. One, if we are correct in thinking that he's writing this hours after the battle, if this is that night in camp that he's writing this description, um, then it would make sense that his hand would still hurt. And his statement that I doubt if ever again I shall be free of the pain of it um, would be merely a testimony to how much it hurts. We don't necessarily, it would not, that would not have authority behind it, right? I mean, it'd just be saying, my hand, and boy, my hand really hurts. I'm not sure it's ever going to feel better. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, right? But it would be a testimony to the extremity of it. If he's, um, if he's writing this back in Minas Tirith, which I agree, I forget who said this before, um, that, um, uh, that, you know, Gandalf had said while he was in Minas Tirith, he made this scroll. I don't know how precise Gandalf was being about that exactly. I can easily think that what he wrote in that first paragraph was written while in Minas Tirith. The Great Ring shall go now to be an heirloom of the North Kingdom. Um, but this description sounds like it was written, you know, that Isildur included this inscription uh, within his, uh, within this scroll, but that it was originally written immediately after um, seems to me more likely. Um, Fort Dauntless says, I'm not wondering if the ring's weird properties indicate that it's not really a physical ring. Maybe that's why it can only be destroyed in Samoth Nauer rather than any old volcano. In short, maybe it's a spiritual ring. That's a really interesting theory, Fort Dauntless. I kind of like that theory. Um, <coughs> certainly, it's physical... Um, you know, yeah. So Ambrosius says, is it Amaya trapped? Yeah. Sauron. I mean, it's him. Mostly him. Most of him, that is to say. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, right. Um, anyway, okay. Let's keep going. Already the writing on it, which at first was as clear as red flame, fadeth, and is now only barely to be read. It is f- So, I think the already seals it for me. He didn't write this for the first time in Minas Tirith. I think he wrote this in, in Gorgoroth, right? Um, because already, if it were weeks later from Minas Tirith, while he was counseling his nephew... Um, he wouldn't be saying already the writing on it. Oh, the writing is fading already. Weeks later, um, uh, he would say, "Yeah," um, but he would say already it's fading. If it were only hours after he had taken it off of Sauron's hand, um, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Gandalf's waxed eyebrows. That's exactly how I'm reading this. That in the scroll that he made in Minas Tirith. He is including something which he might have begun with the entry. I include here my diary entry from the night after we defeated Sauron. Exactly. Exactly uh, how I would speculate that went down. Um, it is fashioned in an elven script of Eregion, for they have no letters in Mordor for such subtle work. But the language is unknown to me. I deem it to be a tongue of the black land, since it is foul and uncouth. He knows the alphabet, so he can sound out the words, but he doesn't know the language. But he can hear from the language. 
that it must be the black speech. Um, which, yeah, I think that is uh, that makes uh, perfect uh, perfect sense. Um, yeah, um, yeah, good. Um, <laughs> Fortal says the ring inscription uh, is better in the original Klingon. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. What evil it saith, I do not know, but I trace here a copy of it, lest it fade beyond recall. The ring misseth, maybe, the heat of Sauron's hand, which was black and yet burned like fire. Um, maybe were the gold made hot again, the writing would be refreshed. But for my part, I will risk no hurt to this thing, of all the works of Sauron, the only fair. It is precious to me, though I buy it with great pain. Um, that last sentence, the last two sentences, of course, are obviously the most revealing of all. Um, he thinks the writing might be important, um, but he... And he wants to preserve it. Notice that this never came out. Right? Um, oh, Trifle says, oh, we're skipping if Black Speech has a native script. Yeah, sure. It can have a native script. Um, notice he implies it has a native script. Um, that there is a script for the Black, for the black Speech. Um, he doesn't say they have no letters. Um uh, where is it? Uh, it doesn't say they have no letters in Mordor. He says they have no letters in Mordor for such subtle work. The runes with which they write the black speech in Mordor are like big and crude and clunky, right? Maybe okay for like, you know, writing on wood with a dagger, but not okay uh, for, uh, or like writing in blood on a wall or something like that, but not okay uh, for carving uh, on the, uh, on a ring like this. Um, that's what he seems to me to to uh, um, to imply. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, Trifle, I would think that Sauron would make the script, the Black Speech script, um, and that he would make it suitable for the orcs uh, for what they needed, uh, for when they needed, for in the, frankly, probably unusual. Uh, moments when the orcs needed to write something down um, or communicate in writing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you're right, JJ. Candyth is in good company, uh, not knowing the black speech. <laughs> he has an excellent forebear in that. Uh, sorry, Candyth uh, Ranger from Lotro. For the, that's a, not one of the characters from the books. Uh, uh, those of you who have uh, been following my Lotro streams for a long time, will remember my jokes about Candyth, uh and his Black Speech Correspondence courses. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Exactly, Doris Stroke. I, I, we, he is as much as telling us that the runes that the orcs use are very much uh, cruder and are very, very much cruder and clumsier. Uh, than the Feanorian runes. Absolutely. Um, okay. Interesting. Evil Dr. Cannon's pointing out that Tolkien rarely uses the word subtle without a negative or evil connotation. 
that is an interesting, it would be an interesting study. It would be an interesting word study. Tolkien's use of the word subtle. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see more about that. I know that it is sometimes used in a negative connotation. I didn't have it pegged myself as like a persistently sketchy word uh, in Tolkien's description. But I hear what you're saying. I'd be interested to see that. Um, exactly. Mad Violinist Saruman is subtle, certainly. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, okay, okay. Um, let's see, what was it gonna, oh yeah, those last two sentences. Um, his not wanting to risk hurt to the thing, uh, his unwillingness to throw it in the fire, um, of all the works of Sauron, the only fair is such a poignant statement, right? Um, poignant because this guy, I mean, especially if this is the night after the battle, his father has just been killed. His brother was just killed a while back. His father has been dead for hours, right? I mean, his father's body is still doubtless lying in state in close proximity to where Isildur is sitting writing this, right? Um, he knows, he knows Sauron's evil, right? The, he, he is familiar with the evil of Sauron, and he knows this ring, the great ring, as he calls it in this scroll, to be the greatest tool of Sauron. He has every reason, more reason than anyone else, to know, to believe, to understand that this ring is not fair, right? Is This can't be a good thing. This ring cannot be a good thing. And yet, we already see him convincing himself that it's an exception, right? Sauron did a lot of sketchy things, but he did... This ring's... It's pretty. It's pretty, right? Sauron made lots of... Uh, lots of... Uh, horrible things. But this is... This is nice. Right? Um... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is precious to me. And of course, obviously that sets off absolutely all of our warning bells there. Um... Though I buy it with great pain. And so we come back to the buying. And I absolutely agree. Several of you have been talking about this. Here we can see his laying claim to ownership, right? It's like the Ware Guild again, but it's shifted. I buy it with great pain. Um, what he's saying, it is precious to me, though I buy it with great pain. Um, that's Irindus, the he hates it and loves it thing, right? It is precious to me, though I, my hand will probably never be free of the pain of it, right? Um so I know that this is like it's this this costs me, right? Um, I, I am still in agony, the agony that the ring has caused me, um, and yet it's precious to me. He's aware of the split on some level there, right? But the wording does seem to me conspicuous, almost like he's rationalizing the pain. It's it's good. 
it's good that I should feel this pain, even if it's enduring pain, even if I will, in fact, never again be free of that pain. The pain gives me a kind of right to the ring. I've bought it. I've paid for it, right? Um, and now nobody can say that the ring doesn't belong to me. I've, I've, I've sacrificed for the ring. The wear guild thing was in the same direction, right? I lost my brother. I lost my father. The ring is wear guild, right? I claim the ring as wear guild as a payment to compensate me for the loss of my kin, right? It belongs. So we, we, we could see it there already. That imp, that very first impulse within the first hour, right? Uh, to claiming ownership. This is a more subtle thing, I think. Um, uh, this is a more subtle thing. See, I, I don't... Um, yeah, Flammifer's saying we could uh, read it as identical to Guild if you read the pain as the death of his father and not the pain in his hand. Yeah, I mean, he buys it with that pain, too. I, I don't think he's forgetting about the pain of losing his father. Um, that, too. What I would point out, though, is that... Um, That's not identical to Guild. That's not how Guild works. Guild is... It's not... It's not a transaction. It's not payment. It's... It's... An apology, right? I mean, it's a concrete apology. Um, Guild is making amends. It's not a purchase. Though I buy it with great pain. Buy is, is, a, is a different concept then I am owed wear guilt. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, um, exactly. As Marielle says, wear guilt is an act of atonement, uh, not, a, uh, not, not, not commerce. Yes, exactly. Um, it's... I mean, goodness, it's more like... I think it, it's, it is recompense, Son of Saradoc, exactly. Um, I'm not sure that I wouldn't say it has more in common with bribery than it has with... Because it, it is a way to avoid a blood feud, mad violence, exactly. Like, if I give you money, you won't attack me, right? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pay you off with Wear Guild so that this feud will stop and you won't come after me for killing your kin. Um, Again, it's 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 um, it's not the same thing as bribery. I'm not trying to say it's it's identical, but again, to me, it's it's more similar to a bribe uh, than it is to a to a to, to to money for a purchase. Like this, I'm going to give you the fair purchase price, and then I will rightfully own that. Um, that is to say, what I'm saying here is that the shift from I'm looting this corpse, <laughs> right? I claim dibs on the shiny ring, to it's wear guild owed to me to I buy it with great pain. I think these are steps and they, they seem to me steps that are going down a particular road. And that road is an increasingly strong argument for it's mine. I tell you my own, my precious, right? That we see all of the, um, of the ring bearers making, um, uh, 
Yeah, and Fortalis, you're right. I don't want to push it too far and say that when he says I buy it with great pain that he's thinking of that in a purely mercantile sense. Uh, you're right that, um, you know, he may mean no more than, like, he's he's lost or sacrificed something in order to get it, right? Um, it doesn't have to mean that he is crudely commodifying the ring, you know, in, in some kind of uh, simplistic way. Um, but again, I... Um, uh, I think that we can, but nevertheless, even even with a sort of less purely and coldly mercantile understanding of that phrase, I still see the same. Uh, the same. I, in the end, I don't think it changes anything. Um, if anything, uh, for thoughtless, I would um, I would still say that that other uh, gloss of the word buy, right? Um, if you buy something by sacrificing in order to attain it, it doesn't change. In fact, it strengthens the idea of you deserve it, right? It's you sacrifice, you paid, right, uh, for that. Um, you sacrificed in order to have it, uh, in order to achieve that end. Um, surely nobody could say that it, you don't have a right to it now, right? Um, um, yeah, yeah, um, good. Lalith, I agree. Lalith is arguing that we can even see a shift in Isildur's perspective from the beginning to the end of this paragraph. Um, yes, yes. Um, going, goes from talking about it as an artifact to something he's going to keep close at heart. Um, absolutely. I, I think you can even hear the difference between... Um, uh, even as I write, it is cooled and seemeth to shrink, though it loseth neither its beauty nor its shape, to it is, I will risk no hurt to this thing, it is precious to me. Right? I, I, I do agree with you, Lilith. We can see that. It's less objective, right? More personal. He's, we see him responding more to the ring. Um, yes. Yeah, exactly, Mariel. Mariel says there's still a fundamental difference between buying and wear guild, buying in any sense. Um, you are the actor in buying something, um, whereas wear guild is 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 received. It's something that somebody else gives to you. Um, yes, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, Arthedui points out that of course you you can't claim a wear guild. After taking revenge, <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, it's it's a little late to close the barn door after the horse has left the stable, right? Uh, if the blood feud has already escalated to vengeance and you're looting somebody's corpse, then it's the, the time for where guild is past. Uh, it's uh, we've, that ship has sailed uh, already. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Anger says, but is it really revenge? Sauron isn't dead. Oh, yeah, he is. No, he's he's looted his corpse. Now, again, do they know what happens to him? No. Are they, you know, 100% sure that Sauron can never possibly take shape again? No. But he's dead. I mean, he's he's he is lying there on the Greninian tree. He may be mostly dead. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, uh, they didn't have a forge bellows at hand, so uh, they couldn't... Uh, Test that out. Um, um, 
yeah, they had no reason to know that it wouldn't stick the death necessarily. Um, yeah, exactly. As, as, as the now newly named spiritual ring says, uh, uh, he's only mostly dead. No, he's, uh, he's completely dead. And you can tell because Isildur went through his pockets to look for loose change. Right. Clearly, clearly. Um, anyway. Okay. Um, uh, the last point that I will make about this and then we'll, uh, stop for the evening, uh, is, Notice not only how clearly we can see the influence of the ring on Isildur, but notice how closely parallel this is, how very familiar the influence on Isildur is. If we couldn't see it from this paragraph alone, and I think we could, I think if we had nothing else, we could deduce the effect, the psychological effect of the ring on its possessor from this paragraph alone, given what we've already seen, and I'm not talking about Bilbo even, I'm talking about Frodo in particular, the close parallel between Frodo's feelings about the ring in his own parlor when he didn't want to throw it in the fire and his admiring its beauty and its roundness, um, uh, to the, 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 the reemergence of the word precious, uh, to you know, to be characterizing uh, the high value that he places on it, uh, and the intimacy of that word as well. Precious is uh, um, it, it's not just about assessment. It seems right. Um, this is a personal statement. This means a lot to him. It's not just that I deem this to be highly valuable, right? But um, this means a lot to me. Um, anyway. Um, the, there's, there's, we, we've seen all these between Bilbo and Frodo. We've seen everything here before. And first of all, let us, um, point out again, uh, or, and I didn't point this out yet. Let me, let me, let me point out the fact that this is a fascinating piece of data because this is the, f- the only time we ever know how the ring affects somebody who isn't a hobbit. Um, this is the only time we get a firsthand account of how the ring affects somebody who is not a hobbit, right? Um, that, of course, might have been a you know we, uh, a confounding variable had we wanted to generalize. This is how the ring influences people, because we've only seen it influence a couple people from the inside. We've seen it with Bilbo. We've seen it with Frodo. Um, but no non-hobbits have had it. We've got Gollum, but that doesn't necessarily fall into the non-hobbit category. So, um, uh, so Isildur, as a mortal man and on a, uh, as a mortal, but on the very opposite end of the spectrum from hobbits. Like, I mean, let's be, not only is he on the very opposite end of the, um, you know, the growth chart from hobbits, uh, but, uh, but I mean, you know, second high king of the, you know, Numenorean hero, exile from Numenor, establisher of kingdoms in Middle Earth, slayer of, uh, at least partial slayer of, uh, of Sauron and looter of Sauron's corpse. He's a pretty high, exalted, powerful figure, very different from the small, homey and humble hobbits, right? And yet, he responded not only exactly the same, but even in some of the same words, right? 
um, it seems to be pretty consistent, right? Pretty consistent. The ring's impact on people seems to be pretty consistent. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I wonder, Fourth Dauntless is wondering if, if Isildur's status among the faithful might have made him more vulnerable because he would be inclined to believe in his own virtue. Possibly. I mean, certainly he's great, and his greatness puts him at risk, right? I mean, Isildur, um, the way that Isildur distinguish him, distinguishes himself as a youth uh, in Numenor is, of course, a great thing. But as we can certainly see over the history of Middle-earth, uh, being great means there is a significant chance of your falling. And if you do fall, that fall is going to be very great, right? Um, yeah, um, exactly. Um, let's see. Yes, Isildur is going to become invisible when he puts the ring on and get betrayed by it. Well, yes. Yes, he will, so far as we know. Um, yes. No, no, he will put it on and will be betrayed by it. The fact that he's shot from a distance suggests that uh, the ring slipped from his hand, like in the film, um, that the film uh, was following the book in this regard. Um, the Bilbo's warning that the ring can suddenly change sizes and you've got to be careful about it certainly would fit with it playing a trick on its new master and slipping off his hand. Um, so that uh, that certainly, again, all of that would seem to fit. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, last comment... I don't think we have any evidence from this passage that the ring is thinking or planning anything. That's, of course, one of the other questions that we've been asking for a long time, right? One of our longitudinal questions um, uh, is, uh, is, is that one, right? How sentient is the ring? Is, is understanding the ring to be sentient and having and making plans and purposes, um, is that consistent? with the text is does the text actively suggest it and is it consistent with what the text uh says um and i you know i don't um i i don't see any evidence in this paragraph that suggests it um you're right wku that's an interesting point that he speaks of it when he says he he anthropomorphizes the ring, when he says it misseth, um, maybe the heat of Sauron's hand, he ascribes to the ring desires or longings. Right now, that's metaphorical. Uh, in context, he's certainly not ascribing to it motives, intentions, and thoughts. Right, uh, he is speaking. Me- I believe metaphorically. It is true it's an anthropomorphic metaphor that he's using, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. No, see, Fort Thoughtless, I don't think the resizing implies consciousness. Um, it 
implies a kind of awareness, right? Like, yeah, it has to know who its master is, right? But I could think easily that it would be, like, if it's a property of the ring, just a, a passive property of the ring, that uh, it is kind of, we know that the ring is connected somehow, right? Uh, in various ways with the psyche of its owner, right? Um, uh, it was connected very closely to the psyche of its first owner on account of he put most of his psyche in it, right? Um, so it, it was closely in touch with its original owner's psyche. Um, but uh, with its new owners, it has a psychological, a psychic connection, right? Um, it has an, an, an influence on their thoughts and on their feelings. Does it, in some sense, uh, read them, right? Their desires, um, their intentions. So Sauron's wearing it, right? And as Matt points out, a resizing, self-resizing as a feature of the ring is handy when you're a shapeshifter and you sometimes want to appear in different forms, right? Um, you don't want to have to take off the ring and put it around your thumb when you cease to be a you know, towering tyrant or have to take off the ring uh, and, you know, wear it on your pinky uh, when you want to swell to larger size uh, in battle or something like that. Um, so it seems, again, it seems to be connected with the mind of its master um, and therefore to attune itself to its master and therefore to resize itself so that it will fit its master. Um yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> Evil Dr. Cannon points out that the elastic on his waistband resizes without internal thought. I don't think that's exactly how the ring works, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree, Mad Violinist. I would agree with that, that the only thing that could be a that would suggest, perhaps, sentience, that could suggest sentience, nah, I won't say could, that strongly suggests sentience, is the ring slipping off his finger in the Anduin. Exactly. And we don't, of course, get a first-hand account of that, naturally. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Ah, Flamifer says, if the ring changes size uh, to play a trick on its new master, then that implies some sort of agency. Uh, not necessarily. Um, Bilbo wrote the book, right? It implies that that's what he thinks of it. Uh, if you are constantly worried about the ring, if you're obsessed with your possession of the ring and constantly worried uh, that it's going to slip off or that it's going to get away from you, you might think of it as Trixie and wanting to get away. Um, but uh, exactly. Yeah, Bruinier, exactly. That, even that statement by the narrator is only a guessing of the ring's thoughts. Exactly. Only a character, only a characterization. And I would say even a characterization of Bilbo's thoughts and feelings about it. Right. Uh, it's not necessarily an, an objective statement about the ring. But anyway, we don't get any of that here. All right. That's it. That's it. Uh, uh, I am done for the evening at last. So thanks very much, everybody, for joining me tonight. Um, what's today? 
the 23rd. So we will be back next week. Uh, remember, I've been saying I'm going to have to take a, a little hiatus uh, in July. Um, but it'll be the 7th and 14th of July, those two weeks I'm going to have to be out. So next week we'll be here. Um, uh, next week's the 30th of June. Uh, so one more week, and then uh, I, I have to take a two-week hiatus, and then I'll be back uh, after that. Um, so thank you, everybody, for uh, joining me tonight. We're going to do our field trip now. Uh, feel free to join us at twitch.tv slash signumu. Uh, and I'm going to say good night to the folks on Twitter and the folks in the town. And, of course, you guys can, uh, guys in Discord are welcome to stick around uh, and uh, do the field trip with us. All right. All right let me close that down. All right, let me get my earbud out here. Good evening, everyone. Hey there. I, I, I am in game today. I'm already waiting at Gathforthmir because I am on a different tune today. I'm uh -huh. on as my Christmas elf, Ilbereth. So sorry, I, 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 I missed you there for a minute. I had, uh, I had my audio sorry. muted, it turns out. <laughs> can you hear me now? I can, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. so um, I'm waiting for you guys at Gothforthmere because I'm on a different tune today. Yeah. I have Ilbreth, the Christmas elf. Gothforthmere, okay. Yep. Excellent. All right. There we are. Okay. Oh, hang on a second. I gotta... All right. My my keyboard has fallen hopelessly asleep, and I need to wake it up. It's been doing that, having a yeah. I have a an increasingly narcoleptic keyboard. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we are. All right, so tonight we are going to collect the seven. We're gonna we're gonna do a thing Narnian has never done in our field trips before, <laughs> and that is complete a quest. Um, oh boy! Would it make sense? To what can I do for you? Use the stable master and go from Gabil Shathur. Would that be quicker? Uh. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. That would certainly avoid the me getting lost and ending up at Barad Gularon again. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that was a thing. Yeah, let's do All that. Right. Let's go down to Gabal Shathur. So I've only gotten one sword, and that's the sword of uh, Onrag. Okay. Well, and, um, uh, so hang on a second. So we need to, to bring the sword to. We need to follow yes, up because if we don't follow up, then somebody yeah. who kills the dude will then have to wait for him to respawn, to re-kill him. Yes, that's right. So 
we're wanting to do. So for those of you who weren't with us last week, we were uh, we were exploring the southeastern section of Angmar, and we came to the tomb with the seven swords. And I am all kinds of curious to see the inside of that because it's the only like Arnorian. Um, um, so actually, could you, uh, uh, Valori, could you start uh, like sure. rating us up here? Yeah. All right. Um, Why recap? Come, come, come over here to get fellowed, and when you're done, then back up. Okay. Well, so I'll see. I stand up. Come over here by me after you're in the fellowship. I'll stand yep. over here by the milestone. All right. That way she don't can... forget Kiriana. Yep. Yeah. Got it. All right. All right. <laughs> Lapelia talking about high excitement, high local excitement there for the, uh, the the looking for the swords. Yeah. Again, I don't usually do quests in my field trips. My field trips are all about landscape explore- exploration. But in the interest of landscape exploration, um, I have never on any alt completed the Seven Swords quest, which means I have never seen the inside of that tomb. And I have to see the inside of that building because it is unique. We've not seen any building like that anywhere in Angmar. We've seen the old Angmarim structures. We've seen the new Angmarim structures. We've seen the old Hillman structures. Uh, we've seen the dwarvish structures that were surrounded by here, right? Which is clear, long beardish architecture, no problems at all. Um, we've seen evidence of elvish e- uh, architecture, um, in, especially in Gathforth near itself, as I recall. Um, but we have not seen a freestanding Arnorian tower uh, like, you know, we uh, have found that like we found down there in that corner uh, with a with a uh, you know one of the Dunedain right with, with a ranger guarding him uh, okay there we go I've got a little I've got a little okay, hat when, now if I've added to the fellowship go stand by the professor with the purple arrow because some keep that's right if you're in if you're in the people. fellowship come over here yep so that way she can know it'll be easier All for right. her to if you have, if you still need to be fellowed, find a way to let me know. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so Lalith, let's think about that. Let's think about what this suggests from a like uh, geopolitical I think standpoint. We'll have to turn this into a raid. That's the problem. Okay. If we're in a raid, will I get quest credit if people kill? I the don't dudes? think so. That's the problem. Oh dear. I think that I think other people will have to fellow up with each other. Okay. Because it's a, we're, we're we got a six man group we're right maxed. now with Kirion and Arnie and Greenstan, Barda, Sermoth, and Elbereth. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how do you want to do this then? Okay. Or oh, sorry, hang on a second. Uh, so yeah, then that's true. Uh, the point of the fellowing is to make sure that we can get credit for the quest. Yeah. Um, or is it? Wait, Edith says she thought that you could complete quests now in raids. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Um, I haven't done a raid since we've but done. But okay, so I'm just I'm I'm, I'm 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 looking at the map for a second. Uh-huh. Um, old Arnor, right? So we've got the South Road coming up. This is the Greenway, right? Comes up with the crossroads in Bree. The Great East Road is newer. That's the Dwarf Road, right? So that's that that is uh, uh, newer than um, than Arnor was, right? So we've got a Numinous over here. So the River Loon 
is like kind of the boundary, right, uh, of um, Arnoras was. Fornost, Anuminus was the original castle, or capital rather, that's, um, you know, Elendil's uh, summer home on the lake, right? And then you've got Fornost being the military capital uh, here in the North Downs. Remember that Rudaur, which was still an Arnorian kingdom, uh, was up here through especially through 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 the northern lone lands and up here through the troll shaws. Um, so Arnor extended basically to the mountains from the river Loon. All of this area up here north of the Great Road um, was essentially Arnorian territory. Here's Weathertop, of course, which was on the on the, you know, the, the marches right on the frontier. So looking up in Angmar up here, originally um, that is originally before the Witch King moved in I mean to Angmar. Angmar would have been on the edges of their territory. Um, mm-hmm. And we know there was going to be contact between the Hillmen and the Arnorians in Rudaur, right? That's where, you know, uh, uh, when you know, they went their own way and then were corrupted by the Witch King. You know, that was sort of part of the influence there. So that there would be an Arnorian Tower, it's not like bizarre, right? It's not weird that there should be an Arnorian Tower in Angmar. What's interesting is that there aren't any other Arnorian Towers. Yeah. Um, That's the big, like, whoop de doo Yeah. So, okay. All right, are we ready? All right. Okay, so Mon- so if we got to get a sword, and then we got to go see Nefra. Right. We, yeah, we've we've got to go back to the dude, right? Yeah, Nefra is. Uh, what is he here? No, he's up in the little gully. He's down in the gully. Okay, so let's let's take off and go find Nefra. Oh, uh, Laura looks like Amathorn needs a. Yep, I just. Okay. Yep, just got him. Great. That's why I ran into the wall. (laughs) Because you were in the middle of inviting him? Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, man. I bet Narnian's going to, like, get XP. I mean, look (laughs) at my XP bar. I have. Uh, I have exactly. I mean, that tiny little yellow in the left-hand corner is all the XP Narnian has ever earned. <laughs> okay, hang on. I've, we've turned. I, I'm automatically skirting the edge here. Yeah. Uh, and we've got to go in. Because we, we need to get the quest before we meet, before we kill any of the dudes, right? Uh, no, you kill one of the dudes to get a sword, and then you get the quest. Oh, wait. So isn't there one of the dudes right up here? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I'm being Which attacked by a leech, I think. Yeah, maybe. Oh dear. Yeah, wasn't that? Yeah, there he is. I see his fire. Yeah. Okay, I thought we had to go to the to the to the to the dude first, but we we just there we go. Yeah, we already found him. Yeah. Does he got a ring or? No, he doesn't have a ring. He won't have a ring. You have to kill him. Oh, okay. We have to kill him. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so combat. Right. There we go. Um. Okay, that didn't work. Oh, oh wait. okay. Well, there I just it got is. a quest. The Sword item. of Venice. Yep. I found it. Okay, quest item. Yep. I hate quest item quests. Like one of my pet peeves. <laughs> um, yeah, at I least I didn't kill him eight times and have eight different versions of the 
his sword in my inventory. Okay. The sword hilt appears to be of western s make, but the blade has been overlaid with faint writings in black speech. Uh, apparently it's uh, sufficiently subtle for runes on a sword, I guess. Among the faded writings, you can make out the name Innis. Take the blade to Nethra at the Krusalunan. Uh, Krusle? Krusle. How do you pronounce that word? Oh. Lunan, to the east of Gabil Shithur. Okay. Krusle Laman? Krusle? Krusle? I don't know how umlauts work. Okay. Beyond my experience. All right. Um, all right, let's go find You won't be able to get in until you get all seven swords, though. I know, I know. But do we have to go check in with him before we get the other swords? We should we we have just... to check in. We just don't find we the other swords now? No. You can collect all seven and go visit him. Okay. Trevor. Okay. Do you know where the other ones are? Because uh, I was kind of hoping on a quest marker for that. Yeah. I think the only question... No, but oh. there's a map. Getting us for Nethra. Okay, hang on a second. All right, we're, let's, let's I'm going, We're going back to Gabil Shithur. Why yeah, can we're I... Going, yeah. Why can I... No, I guess no. we have to go into the orc camp, yeah? Yeah, some of them are in the camp. Some of them are around the, the Salt Lake. Okay. All right. Let's... So... Here we are in Ongbishok. And we explored this last time. Hi, anybody have a Numenorean sword? We're looking... No. I just uh, posted a picture of the sword locations in Discord. Uh, okay. Okay. Oh, hey. Look, folks are, like, attacking me and stuff. Yeah. Let's probably fetch a pet. I need assist. I'm, like, at level, so... <laughs> All right, okay. Anyone want to help me, that would be great. No, I don't want another quest. <laughs> oh, yeah. What? No roving threats? I'm good. Okay. Already got one. Swords are all over. Okay, hang on a second. Um, okay. Oh, hang on. Let's see. Uh, right. All right, so where are we? Let's see. Okay. All right, we found the one that was, like, right, right over here. Okay, well, there are two in around where we are. So let's, uh, let's keep looking. Okay. I guess we look around campfires as people who have Numenorean swords seem to dig campfires. Maybe it's just the Numenorean influence, right? They just kind of, you find, you find a Dunedain sword and you feel this, like, you know just need to sit by a campfire. <laughs> Atmospheric. Seems seems legit. Here, wait a second. Is that another campfire up there? Uh, no. It's no, a that's Technicolor like a... cape. Oh, yes it is! Look, I found him! Oh, oh yeah. Hi. Franken. Hi, Frangen. Yeah, my oh, oh yeah, my sorry, my little cat's attacking you. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and loot. Uh, yes, the sword of Kavoka. Kavoka. What kind of name is that? Kavoka. Okay. All right. Let's see. Um, other 
dude uphill here, I guess. That was Owen up there, wasn't it? Yeah, Owen. Right. Yes. The Welsh one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, wait. There's... Yeah. Is that him? Down in the Careful. valley? Big, big ravine. Big ravine. Yeah. That's a warbird keeper down there. That's a different campfire. I, I oh, no. There he is right there. That's Squeezedon. Oh, you found him up here? Uh, yeah, he's right next to the work camp, so. Okay. He's in the trench. He's in the big gully. He's in the gully. Okay. Let's see. Where'd he go? He's down here? Yep. Alright. Ah, yeah, there he is. We's done. Yeah. We's done. We stand. There we go. Yep. All right, checking my loot Probably. again. The Sword of Manas. These are definitely... Man, I got too much junk in here. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to get individual quests for every separate individual sword, huh? Uh, yeah, that's why I think we should check in with a guy and just dump them off, but I yeah. don't know if it works that way. Well, it's all right. We're making the rounds. We'll figure it out. Okay, so we'll go. We got to get north here. Oops. Got to mount up here. All right, from the look of the little map with my... X marks the spot on the sword quests. We've got to go up to the O in Gorathlad. So. And I'm pretty sure we, we were looking around here. And other than those really interesting, like, megalithic tables, which look like they're of giantish construction. Yes. We didn't see too much that was intrinsically interesting. No. That's Architecturally pretty wild speaking. out here. Yep, there he is. This is... This is it's Owen. friend Owen. Yes. This is Owen. Okay. There we go. Oh, did my cat just one-shot him? That was kind of boss. Okay. All right. And, uh... Oop, no, no. Back to my loot... And the sword of Ab. Ab? A-B-B? Ab? Hmm. Like wicked abs? Yeah. Did I get that? Except, yes. Alright. That's good. So, let's see. Now, where do we go? Now, let's see. Not too, I think, uh, yes, one of our people's already there already. I think. I see a green dot near the place where... So I will follow... Hang on, let me mount up again. Mounting up. Okay. There we go. Got, heading back out towards the lake. Gonna go around this little mountain range. Mountain hog. It gets green again. Yep. That's still my time. Let's see, yep, and there's another campfire. Well spotted, Rosie Lass. 
Okay. There we go. Okay. And uh, ask a suggestive shake of my loot bag, and there we go. The Sword of Kolmak. Yep. So whom are these swords named after? I don't know. guess we'll find out with maybe Nath's problem, though. I am keen to know. Okay, so how many was that? We've got... Um, Wait, I did accept that quest, didn't I? No, I did not yet. Ab, Ennis, Kavoka, Yes, Ennis, Kavoka, Manas, Ab, and Kolmak. Uh-huh. I still have Anrang, but... Okay. All right, so let's see. We, uh, we've got two more, and those are fairly far afield. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we gotta, we got to head back over this way. Problem. Seven Swords reminds me of the old Robin and Sherwood TV show when they had the Seven Swords at the Fairy Smith Whalen. <laughs> that was um, that 80s one that had all the synth music and Michael Crane uh, okay. gorgeous mullet. Vague memories of that, but I do not know it well. Let's see. See any suspicious campfires? Yeah, right ahead. Uh-huh. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right under the brow of the hill, bold as you please. To bite. Okay. I think Owen's the only one who got off with the... There we go. There's Anraig. Sort of on rag. Okay. Great. Uno mask. Except. Narnian has, I think, four or maybe five years worth of annual gift boxes in his inventory. <laughs> yep. Yeah, know that feel. Narnian does not quest. Just don't open those cosmetic boxes. Your inventory will be full. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, this is the one that's, like, right near the camps or right in the middle of it. Okay. Right. Hang on, oh, have you guys seen these kind of no, buildings. No, no. Hey, no. wait, are those... These are white hand orcs, right? Uh-huh. Hmm. Okay, sorry. Getting distracted. So our our next chap is up here in the camp, is he? Yep. Oh, I see a fire. Yes, there he is. Okay. Brecken. Okay. And the sword of Gwynoch. Enough. Boy, that sounds kind of Welsh too, doesn't it? Yeah. Just a bit. Especially if you pronounce it Gwynach. Right? Instead of with a hard K. Okay. Alright. And now, oh. now we have seven to quests to turn in to our friend yep. Nethra. Seven slots in our inventory. Yeehaw! Him. 
Yeah, right. Can we get through here? Uh, probably. Looks like we've got another gate down here. I got another crack the whip game going here. Okay, yeah. Alright. Okay. I'm gonna head west. I'm gonna head west. Right, yeah. Okay. Look at us doing a quest. That takes me back. <laughs> okay, there we go. Found the salt hill. And... Alright, here we go. Yeah. There's the mountains again. If we are right, we gotta. Go to the left of those mountains there. So I've got a quest arrow here now. Again, yep. how much time could Gandalf and Aragorn have saved if they'd only had a quest arrow? You know, it said. Yeah, I think we're bearing a little bit too much to the. East it depends here. on whether it's one of those tracking quests like the hunters get. Those ones you don't usually get an arrow. You have to follow the footsteps. Keep right. going until you see more footsteps. Um, Is this the right valley? Bit. I don't know. This no, uh, this is an orc no, camp. Orc camp. No. Wrong valley. Yeah, if I recall, there was a yeah. That's, I seem to recall there was one valley, and then there was a valley after valley. Where am I going? Uh, more or less the right direction, I guess. <laughs> well, hang on. I'm trying to loop back around to go south. Ah. There we go. Heading south now. All right, there's that original camp. Whoa, almost cliff. Okay, no problem. Can ride down here. Go through. Mm -hmm. Ooh, okay, hang on a second, JJ. That's really good. JJ says the uh, the quest text tells us more about the owners. Oh no! What? I've hit another dead end. Uh, follow, there, there's a group of green dots where I am, and uh, okay. we're, so we gotta we're go right up, in front of it. We gotta, we gotta go up around. Again, yep. I think we can get there from here. Alright. Oh, man. No, it's okay. I think, I think I'm still okay. Go around this way. Mm-hmm. Yep, there you are. I see you. Oh, yep, there's the tower. Great. Yep. This dark foreboding place. All right. Tower. And a beautiful little Arnorian tower it is with the stars of the Dunedain all over the place. Yeah. Okay, 
Let's see. I'm going to my quest text here now before I turn him in. All right, let's see. The Sword of Ab. Here, wait. I'm not getting any text. Where's my... You're not getting it. Oh, well, I'm not seeing it. It's just, it's not telling me anything. Huh. Oh, when I turn it into Nethro, he'll tell me? Okay. Yes. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. Nethro. No, yeah, I thought, Nethro's like, the description the of the quest was going to give me something more. Oh, no, no, no. Nethra's going to give okay. you the... Okay, all right. Info. Let's okay. see. Here we go. Oh, look at this. Okay. Here we go, Nethra. I'm excited. Let's start with the Sword of Ab. Yes. Greetings to you. Okay. You have brought me the Sword of Ab. Ab was a great leader of the Hillmen of Rudaur. Interesting. Ah. He was one of the last to be taken under the service of the Witch King, and it is said that he had a great gift of healing. Ancient text tells that he was indeed unwilling at first to heed the words of the messengers of the Witch King, but at the urging of his people for great wealth and power, he accepted the sword that you now hold. He accepted the sword. So the sword was a gift from the Witch King. So, so your these... theory was right. This was the last outpost. Yes. So the swords were, the swords were, uh, 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 evil gifts, right? Corrupting gifts, yeah. or at least symbols of loyalty to, um, uh, uh, to the witch king, right? Yep. Yeah. And this was one of the yeah, hillmen the, the witch of Ruda. King, You know, it's gotta. Yeah, you know, it's gotta have some sort of whammy on it. Right. Okay. That's good. Now tell me about, uh, tell me about, tell me about Gwynach. How can I be of service? The sword of Gwynach. This is the sister sword of the poisoner, Colmac. Many a wound this sword gave that too late was found to be fatal. Gwynach was longest in the service of the enemy and had the most malice and subtlety of those that wielded a blade under the Witch King against Cardolan. Against Cardolan. So it's not, oh, yeah. So these are all swords that belonged not to Hillman. So that's why, so these are, this is in, in their language. Mm-hmm. They're sort of vaguely Celtic language, which is why we've yeah. got Owen in Gwynoch. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. Good. Nancy is so. pointing out the subtlety here. Yes. Malice and subtlety. Nancy, it's clear that they're, you know, they're picking up on the same thing that Evil Dr. Cannon was talking about. Yeah, it's funny. I was getting, um, like, flashbacks to um, loose Ellen Montgomery books whenever someone wanted to describe a, a girl as, as not worth anything. She was always described as clever and right. subtle. Like yes. They were horrible things for a woman to be. <laughs> yes, because it doesn't just mean intelligent. It means, like, devious right manipulating yes yeah. exactly it implies Steaming. it implies motives and uh, yeah. uh, and uh, attitude as well as mere ability um, mm-hmm. yeah sneaky and sly Edith exactly um, I'm trying to think what would Ar- artful Ma- artful was another one I was rather surprised artful yes yes um, Tolkien uses it that way too in uh, um, uh, uh Smith of Wooten Major. Uh, old Noakes calls the young Prentice artful at one point, huh. meaning exactly that, devious and sly. Um, yeah, okay. I'm trying to think what would, 
Uh, I haven't read as much Ella Montgomery as my wife has. She's quite an expert on Ella Montgomery, but um, I'm trying to think of what what word because there is a positive word like that you would use to describe like a positive adjective to describe a woman, meaning she's intelligent. But it's not. You're right. It's not like it's it's well, subtle. The, the funny thing is, clever was used for both. Yes, clever, clever is sometimes a positive thing. But I think that anyway. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. Now. It depends on the person who's describing. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Um, is Stacy's describing him as positive? Rachel Lind is describing it. It's rather negative. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Hello, exactly. And well met. Okay, so... Okay, Ines. Back, to, uh, it back is well to the swords, yeah. Back to the swords. Okay, right. You brought this to me, Narnian. For few save the wise now would have been able to discern the faded lines that speak the cold words of the black speech which tainted this blade. Oh, so... Hit... Nethra knows the black speech. So clearly, this is the guy who... whom Candace was corresponding with, right? <laughs> we finally found the source of Candace's lore. Or... Lack of lore. Nethra. Look at there how busy his schedule is out here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, it's clearly between here and the North Downs was, was a remote learning opportunity. Oh, there's more in the next paragraph. Please. Right, few save the why would... Okay, okay, sorry, right, but this is the Sword of Innis. Uh, though his sword was not as famed as his bow, many were caught unaware by the ambushes of Innis and the cruel hillmen he commanded. Okay, so these are so definitely hillmen. all... Um, all hillmen. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, what can I do for you? Okay, this is a sort of Kavoka. Long he battled against the Witch King, and he feigned peace and offered him a truce. In his folly, he met at the appointed place alone and was captured. Oh, that's a classic blunder. I mean, yeah. you know, arranging to meet the Witch King for a private duel uh, is, I mean... You know, that's like right behind going up against a Sicilian when death is on the line, right? Or going against a, a evil Valar when he's... Right. Right. <laughs> okay, wait, sorry. When he returned to his people, he's barely recognizable. A shadow of his formal self. Classic symptoms. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He served the Witch yep. King and his people were taken into thraldom. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, rookie mistake, says Dolores Stroke. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Colmac. And well a dark blade. All oh, right, this is the yep. poisoner, right? Yeah. Yep. Do you see the burn marks in the notches? Many times as this sword carried the fell poisons of the enemy. I fear that this sword is the sword of Colmac. He was the second of the Hillman chieftains who took service with the enemy. It troubles me to know that his blade was still in the service of Angmar. So it's like, I don't know if these swords are enchanted, but they're definitely not nice swords. Right, right. Yeah, now, Katriana, I agree with you. This this does support the Cargill theory, right? About, um, yeah. you know, the, the, the sort of reconversion of the Hillman. Heck, the Cargill might have been some of these guys. Yeah, exactly. Hello, friend, and well met. Okay, you think he might want to hang on to his sword, but maybe not. <laughs> okay, you have brought to me the sword of Manas. Uh, uh, what is it, like the Manas sword of fate? Many brave warriors fell beneath this blade, though he wielded the bow stronger. More okay. few men lived yeah. to tell tales of his brutality, for he would often put his captives to a cruel death. Okay. 
And then... What can I do for you? All right. The Notched Sword of Anraig. Anraig was a mighty warlord of the Hillmen of Rudaur. He was the fiercest of those that were converted to the enemy's evil cause and was often at the head of the armies brought against the people of Arthedain. Okay, so... This means that all of these swords, which were the swords of the Hillmen, these were originally stored here, right? Yep. But why? But these are Numenorean. Why would they make Numenorean little sword casks? Maybe in mockery of Numenor? Or maybe this was just reappropriated. Okay, see, the statues... So the statues are the statues that represent the ancient hillmen kings and captains, and their crowns are sort of vaguely Iron Crown-esque, right? We, that does explain why we've seen these ones at Rudar and Ruins and not any others. Yes. Yes, it does. Because now we know that the hillmen were in Rudar's service. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with JJ that these guys appear to be the captains of the Hillman's Bowling League. <laughs> yes, agreed. But now notice something interesting. The statues are significantly more weathered than the little sword coffers down at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That looks like much newer stone. However, this, the more faded statues are standing on top of a classic dais with a Numenorean star in it. Got my bowling ball thing. So, Mm. here's the theory. Theory would be that the statues are obviously made by the Hillmen. Um... Erected here, so the the Numenorean stonework has to have has to predate the statues. Not only because the statue is standing on top of it, which significantly suggests that it predates it, but a little hard to build the dais under the statue after the statue's already been erected. But um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, however, apart from that obvious piece of physical evidence, um, I, just chronologically, right? I mean, if this was a an Arnorian outpost, the most northerly of all of the Arnorian outposts, before the hillmen, you know, converted to the service of Angmar and took over this area, Arnor would have already been here, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, um, so it's like Arnor came, Arnor left with the architecture. And then the right, hillmen. exactly. And so this was, okay. this was repurposed. And the reason that it looks newer is that of course, needless to say, the Numenorean stonework is the superior. Yeah. I mean, Which is the, why you know. it's not weathered as badly as the statue. Exactly. The statue weathered more bad. Uh, I mean, it's still been here for hundreds of years, right? So it's, it's. I mean, more than a thousand years old, this statue. Um, not bad. So it has all kinds of excuse to be weathered. Um and the good preservation, by contrast, of the of the Numenorean stone is just because Numenorean, right? Um, just like the, uh, you know, the stonework at, uh, you know, Orthanc or the walls of Minas Tirith. Um, you know, they knew from stonework did the did the Numenoreans apparently. Um, 
So, even though the Numenorean stuff looks newer, it's actually older. But, the Numenoreans still have the seven sword, like, little sword coffins, you know, sword things here. Yes. Yeah, well, sword, what, display cases? Um, <laughs> I don't even know what. Uh... Okay. Looks like it, it looks like an altar. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Now the leaves wrapped around the pillars, Nancy. We have seen things like that in Arthodyne. I think and I think we speculated before that it must be Athelas. Right? Didn't we ever speculate yeah. about that? Or did I recently oh, think of that? About which? About the which? plants. See the like the vines? Oh. No, I don't think we ever... No. No? I don't know if it is. It doesn't necessarily look like it. I'm just trying to guess what the what it would be, like why there would be the... Because um, we've seen it in several other places. Not yeah. this prominently. There's like a whole big band of it around the bottom like this is kind of new. No, that's, that's new. It's usually only like over the arches or something. Yeah, exactly. That's where we usually see it um, in yep. small sort of detail work. The only plant matter like this that I... Or unless it's Oyelase. Oh, yes. Oyelase. What if it's Oyelase? So Oyelase is the evergreen plant, boughs of which... Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, that's totally what it is. That's awesome. Okay, so the Oyelase was a a, a maritime tradition of the Numenorians that they would... uh, They would, uh, uh, like... I don't know what, bind, tie, staple, I don't know how, uh, whatever, they would affix somehow Fine. a bow of Oyelase on the bow of the ship when it was going out of harbor. Um, and the, like, evergreen state of the of the plant, and it would, like, eventually, like, wither and die because it had been cut, but it would take a long, long time to do it. Um, so, like, they, you know, they would, they would kind of come back and the Oyelase is still alive. Um, so the Oyelase is, again, it's, I think it's, it's not a, it's not a needly evergreen. I think it's a leafy evergreen like holly, essentially. Um, um, but it was definitely an evergreen plant. And so, and it, it had the symbol, the, the symbolic significance of the Oyelase was that it was it was a symbol of the blessing of the Valar and a sign of preservation. Like it, it was like good luck attached to your ship going out, and so that it like just as the uh, you know the Oyelase is um, uh, is uh, is evergreen, right? Um, the, so like your you know you would be your, the life of like the ship and the sailors would be preserved, like the life of the plant um, as they as they go out and come back. Um, so it makes all kinds of sense that they would they would sort of import the symbolism, not the literal, right? Um, but the symbolism of the bow of Oyelase, and that's why we've been seeing that little bow because it's, it was specifically a bow before, right? Wow, like a little that, thing. That's a bit of a that's a bit of a transference, kind of like how pineapples uh, suddenly became symbols of welcome and door knockers because from exotic fruits that were symbols, status symbols. Right. To symbols of being welcome. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah, like we're going to trot out the good stuff to welcome you. Yeah. Yes. So they carve it on their buildings. Um, they carve it on their buildings. 
again to show like the same kind of metaphor of uh, of the, uh, like invoking the protection of the Valar, right? It was the 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 the, the affixing of the bow of Oyelose, which was usually done by the wife of the captain of the ship. Um, yes, it was it was like it was a ritual act, uh, and it was it was like the like the invocation of the protection of Uinin and stuff. So um, uh, anyway, yeah, that's uh, that that's got to be it. That's got to be it. It's got to be it's got to be Oyelose. That's cool. I can't believe we were seeing that for months and years, in fact, all over <laughs> Arnor, and I just figured out what it must be. That's pretty, it speaks a lot to the to the craft in the game. It does. Honestly. It does. Okay, normally, I don't have the impulse to, like, write Chris Pearson and check if I'm correct, but I kind of do with this one. Like, I I, I can <laughs> I kind of do it. I kind of do, do it. With this one. Do it. Do it. Report back. Oyelase. It's got to be Oyelase. They couldn't mention it because, of course, it only appears in Unfinished Tales, so it's it's outside the license that the game has. Um, I mean, yeah. there's nothing wrong with them representing a bow of plants on the on the buildings, of course. Yeah. But um, okay. Anyway, hang on. I got to talk to Nethra again. Okay. Hello, friends. I've recovered all seven swords. A mighty deed. Now they can be restored to their proper resting place, and we can finally enter into Krusle Lanan. Gather what few companions you deem trust. Oh, wait, I have to gather at the small fellowship. We can't all go in together, right? True. True. Okay. All right. So I think we're going to need to disband now. Can you disband us? Yep, yep, yep. All right. All right. And just the three of us, unfortunately, because it's at Small yeah, it's Fellowship. Okay. Yeah, You're on his Kiriana, is it? Yes, ma'am. Heels for the win. All right, you better protect me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll also helpfully get Nethra, keep him going. There is a major dread effect, so if you've got hope tokens, smoke them if you got them. Yeah. All right. Uh, hey, look, he does. Somebody must have sent them to me, because, yes, they did. That was very kind. There we go. Oh, hope tokens, no problem. Okay. Hail, friend, and well matched. You've returned, then I deem that you are ready for the task at hand. Hold again the seven swords which you have gathered. You should be the one to set them in their resting place and open the door. We don't actually okay. have to run around and do the thing. No, okay, no, we don't. Okay, nope. begin placing the swords. Oh, he's going to get his notes in order. That's fantastic. All right. All right, get your notes in order, and I'll get my notes in order, and we're, we'll take notes. With the aid of the heroes of the north, the ranger scholar Nithra has reclaimed seven swords which were given to the hillmen chieftains of old. Hang on, wait, I'm listening. Now Nithra yeah. and his allies prepare to enter the ancient halls of Kruslav Lanan. Right. Nithra and his allies, meaning us, I guess. Indeed. Okay. Oh, oh, now oh. we do have to place the thing. Hang on, is some, somebody attacking somebody? Not... I thought I heard the sound of whackings and smackings, but I guess not. Okay. Yeah, quick continue, Valori. Yeah, there you are. Yep, gotcha, sorry. All right, I'm placing swords on pedestals. Pedestals. Pedestals, that's the word I was was missing before. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but the the sword pedestals, though, I'm still trying to figure out the history of this here, because... 
the sword petals are obviously Arnorian, not made by the hillmen. Um, so that implies that the Arnorians had sword pedestals here, so that six, seven significant swords were part of this place prior to the... So maybe these swords were Arnorian swords of significance that were claimed by the Witch King and then distributed to the hillmen who served him. I have to think yeah, that, that that was true. Remember, it said it had Western and writing, but then there was stuff like written under it and over it, like it was Right, the black speech runes and stuff. Okay, let's yeah. see. I'm looking at the door frames. This looks like most of your Western runes that have been gone to pot. Yeah. Strange lack of any kind of iconography, really. There's trees on the door. Some kind of tree. Yeah. Vaguely. kind of... Ever yeah. so vaguely Gondorian, but not really much like the Gondorian trees. No. Are there any carvings on this brazier? Will not work. What looks almost like a... Uh, yeah, more kind of vines or serpent-like. Yeah, this is very similar to the ruins that we found uh, outside of Rivendell. Yeah. The, the jail cells. Yeah, Katrina thinks the filigree motifs look more elvish. Yeah, I, the more, more elven. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Hang on, can I? Can, what can I see before? Because like when we talk to him, like mobs are going to come or something. And... <laughs> yeah. Let me look yeah, around. Yeah, this here. looks like this looks like elven. It does. It does. Is this a joint project? It's definitely bigger on the inside. Look at this. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Got another another Time Lord effect here. Okay, what do you need? <laughs> Your study is almost complete. What have you learned? There's not much here. An ancient armory an ancient of Arnor? How'd you get Arnor. that, man? It's taken, taken by, by the, the Hillmen. Okay. All right. Something is amiss. Right. Oh, okay. Oh, ghosties. All right. We've got ghosts of the seven captains. Not of the line of Argaleb and have not the right to tread here. This place will be thy grave, etc., etc. Oh, hang on. Oh, yeah, no. Still nope. threatening. Our graves. Where's my cat? Should my cat be doing something? Here? Oh, he is. He is. Where'd he go? Oh, there he is. Okay, let's go. There. Strong work there. Oh, no place for thy kind. Thou must leave. Incoming. Oathbreakers. Hang on. No, let's not leave this place. Oh, what? Why did we leave this? My, oh no, my we're going. Rock. We're going through and up. Okay, I thought we were turning around and uh -huh. leaving. Wasn't it? My happy rock was back there. Strongly object. Who are the oathbreakers behind us? Uh, shit, guys. Are they still there? Hang on. Who's who's, who's over here? Uh, oh, it's Ab. Just staring. Slowly advancing. Ab is. Step by step. Step inch by cautious by step. Inch. Oh. oh. Hang on, that doesn't look healthy. Is that uh, friendly or unfriendly? That's, no, it's that's a, it'll, yeah, it'll be bad. Okay. It's not right, happening. But yeah, we don't want to let Nethra 
go. Okay, so we're going up the stairs. And... Yeah, I can't let him go because if he dies, we fail. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, we, we gotta we gotta protect. Oh, it's that thing again. Ten can't rangers take care of themselves? Honestly, he's a scholar. The end of the. Oh, he's a nerd. I got it. Exactly. He is a nerd. Hmm. Who's that? Colmac. Oh, Colmac is a girl. Uh, oh, poisoner, the women's weapon. Uh, poison is the woman's weapon, right? Of course. Lame. Yeah. Far more diverse than that. Yeah. Yeah, we can do better. Um. Okay. I'm looking at the portcullises. Not much on the other side, just rubble. But I agree, you know, the the portcullis is not exactly the same, but it doesn't it have a slightly, like, Oregian-ish feel to it, right? Yeah, it does. It totally has an Oregian Just a shade, not exactly, not nearly as ornate, of course. Why is it every time we see the, the sort of uh, architecture, it's always surrounded by cobwebs and yeah. five inches of water? Right. It's the Delisade architecture, or... Interior decorating. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I have to say the interior decorating is disappointing so far. We're not seeing any. I mean, it's mysterious, and I think that Catriona's theory is still best. Okay, there's Anrig. Didn't we kill him already? Or did he run away? Uh, he was following us. I guess he beat us up the stairs. Ah! No, that was Ab who was following us. Is Ab still following uh. us? I don't know, he's moving very slowly. We've probably outpaced him by now. Uh, don't let them pass. Oh, so Enrag is just giving orders. Is Enrag the guy who is the first one? Uh, I guess yeah, I should set I people so. on fire. Yeah. I'm a lore master. That's what I'm supposed to do, right? Fire. Okay, oh, Yay. that's it? Yep, completed the seven stars. Apparently, it's just this place full of a ghosty stuff. We're not gonna. It's not gonna kick us out, is it? No, I have to talk to Nethrog. Good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. All right. So I'm looking at the. Are those? It's like braziers built into go. the wall. Uh, yeah, I think so. Floor braziers and wall braziers. Yeah. I get the feeling we're gonna see a lot of this kind of architecture in Karn Doom too. Perhaps so. We'll have to see. That would be interesting. So, again, looking at the wall, when you look at it up close, it doesn't look like too much. But when you look at it from a distance, I agree with Katriana. It definitely looks elvish. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Elvish style that was adapted by the Anurians. I get though I've seen... Uh-oh, hang on. What is this? The, this is the upstairs door? Tell me we get to yeah. come out on top of the tower. Do we come out on top of the tower? No, probably no. not. I think we're going to return to the bottom. Most of the towers we've been in don't have working windows. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, well. Hey, there's Karn Doom. Karn Doom's coming. It's going to be amazing. Karn Doom's coming. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, here we are down at the bottom again. Okay. Yeah. This... Right, hang on a second. I've got to back up now and look. Because we were noticing... The difference, yes, there. Okay. The, See that tower's all bricked up in? Yeah, the round internal interior tower. 
with the the very different stonework. Uh-huh. What if? Um. What if? What if there was an elvish tower here? What if? Because so, so we've got the round tower, right, with the darker stone, which is clearly older than the Numenorian construction, especially since the Numenorian tower seemed to be built around it, right? Yes. So what if there were an ancient elvish tower here, which, when the Arnorians discovered, they like shorted up, right? It was it was like threatening to fall down. So they yeah they built the new Numenorean tower to strengthen it around it, but they kept it sticking out at the the old one sticking out at the top, and so that's why when you go in you don't see Numenorean construction because they didn't construct it. The interior, which is of course significantly larger than the exterior, is um, is is elvish, whereas the outside, therefore, only the facade and buttressing and stuff, and it does have buttresses. Right? I mean, you can see the buttresses over here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it does explain why this those rooms look a lot like the elven rooms we saw. Right. And so so that would suggest then three generations of, you know, three different, like, iterations, right? So you have the ancient elvish tower, and then you have the Arnorian reconstruction, right? Sort of preservationist reconstruction. And the seven swords must have dated from that time the Arnorian time presumably, unless they're elvish swords they said they were western said they were western yeah, okay so they must be Numenorian swords so we still don't have any explanation for the seven Numenorian swords how they came to be here and why they were given pedestals maybe sorry made them when he was doing his time there. <laughs> nah. No. Yeah. I wouldn't think so. Well, he likes to work with his hands. It's true, right, Nancy? Yeah, black Numenorians. No, because... Yeah, probably black. Black Numenorians... Well... There we'll have to wait and see what we see when we get older. down to... But yeah. I don't remember any of the black Numenorians actually using Numenorian iconography, like the stars and stuff, and the, and the scepter. Yeah, and the Oyalase. I would that. Oyalase. I finally figured that out. Remember I was, like, counting the leaves on each branch trying to figure out yeah. if it was symbolic of yeah. if a family or something else? Bow of Oyalase. I cannot ivy. believe I didn't think of that before. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, But, um, uh, okay, okay. Anyway, um, yeah, so, right, so elves build a tower, the Numenorians buttress it um, externally, but they preserve the inside, the rather plain inside for elves. But if it's very ancient, I mean, it would have been like a first age tower, conceivably. Is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. It's possible. It's not impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but these weren't. But these these weren't the party elves. These are sort of primeval, much more, much older. 
the stuff we see in Eridlun. Yeah, yeah. I agree with somebody was talking about, um, yeah, um, Dime was saying that the top piece does not really look friendly. And I agree, but it might just be because it's older and more weathered and sticking out of the nice, like, forthright-looking turret, you know, of the Numenorean Tower. It could just be the contrast. Now we know why Nethra was saying this is such a dark, fell place before. I'm just sitting there going, this is the nicest spot in Angmar. What's it wrong is. with you? It is. This is beautiful. This is beautiful, but corrupted, right? Um, yes. So the erection of the seven statues, which would have been a Hillman thing, and to commemorate the... So the, the corruption of the area goes hand in hand with the perversion of the swords, right? These Numenorean swords. Uh, which yep. are taken from their pedestals by the Witch King and distributed to the seven captains of the Hillmen um, uh, and used and turned against uh, uh, Cardolan, right? T- turned against uh-huh. the rest of Arnor. Um, yep. So that all kind of makes sense and holds together. But an ancient it feels Elvish like theories about it. the Hillmen. Yeah. So the. So what we're seeing with these hillmen are the, 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 are the hillmen and the Rudaurans who teamed up together. Yes, yes, yes. So it becomes a sort of symbol of the corruption of Rudaur, a sort of, you know, a sort of symbol of the, the decline of Arnor. Um, but yeah, I mean, the idea of the Numenorean Tower, of the Arnorian Tower, which is essentially holding up and preserving, you know, an ancient first age Elvish tower, um, uh, you know, symbolically, metaphorically, that really works. Like it's just the kind of thing that, you know, Numenorians would do. Um, stunned duck is saying that if it's an Elvish construction, the top piece is not necessarily the original top of the tower. Uh, it could have been and probably was much taller. Right, yeah, it didn't necessarily end there. It could easily have been a, you know, gone on to a delicate spire, you know, yeah. far higher well, than this. What, yeah, have we found out what he says at the end? What's he say? What's the, the final speech here? Oh, yeah. I'd like to compare notes with you, Nethra, but what, what, what did you what did you think? Were you just scared about How can I be of service? Give the sword bundle back quickly. I will dispose of these swords and lock the oath breakers that remain inside the Crusley Lanan here forever. Boo. You have my thanks for your aid. I have my many notes to study. Okay. Don't destroy them. Uh, it belongs in a museum. <laughs> it belongs in a museum. Okay. Um, all right. These are attractive gloves. I think I want these gloves. <laughs> Your first quest item reward. Hey, look. It's, uh, I actually have uh, level five items equipped. So. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> the gloves I picked up during, uh, during the uh, intro area, I believe. <laughs> But I've still got equipped, so that'll be enough. Oh, Corey! <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Edith, I'm pretty sure I'm wearing almost all of my. Yeah, look at this. Check this out. It's all of my intra area stuff right here. 
And you're close to character with a box of armor. I'm wearing the plume. T- I never opened the box of armor. Um, I, I've, I've still got it somewhere, probably. Where's the box of armor? Um, oh, yeah, there it is. There's my weapon pack and armor pack. Unopened. <laughs> this is why you're the best, Corey. I told you, this is not, you know, you know, uh, Darnian is not, you know, he's not a, he's a nerd. He's a nerd. <laughs> He's a he's a he's like a, he's a he's a he's a pure lore master. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, it's getting late. Now. Also, yeah, it's it's super late. Uh, but see, this is what happens when you actually go questing, right? And do instances <laughs> and things like that. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this evening. And I will be back next week. And we'll have hiatus after that. But I will be back next week. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.